Hello and welcome to Clappercast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Jack Luke Sharp, and today I'm happy to be joined by George Lewis. Hello there. Nick Johnson. Hello, hello. Ashley Robson. Hello. And Diego Andaluz. Hi. Today we're going to talk about Jonathan Glazer and A24's new short film, Strasbourg 1518, Dave Franco's directorial debut, The Rental, Rosamund Pike's Marie Curie biopic, Radioactive, and Werner Herzog's latest narrative feature, Family Romance, LLC. Let's begin with Jonathan Glazer's Strasbourg 1518. Inspired by a powerful involuntary mania which took hold of citizens in the city of Strasbourg just over 500 years ago, this film is a surreal collaboration in isolation with some of the greatest dancers working today. Diego, you're reviewing Strasbourg 1518 for the site. Let's start with you. So like most films from Jonathan Glazer, you can tell that the story is a bit weak and underdeveloped. However, his directing talent is something that I have not seen in pretty much any other director, living or dead, he can take, he could probably take paint drying and make it an interesting piece to watch and that I would be probably analyzing for days to come. Like here, it's just basically shots of dancers dancing, but the way that he edits it together along with Michael Levi's insane score is just, it just makes it somehow, it just makes it something special. I, I don't know how to describe it apart from just saying that it's something very atmospheric. And Jonathan Glazer, in both his shorts and even commercials, one-minute commercials, he is able to perfectly capture an atmosphere and use that, uses that to his advantage to just make it something special and I would say transcendent. I'm going to be fairly less optimistic than you, Diego. Um, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Jonathan Glazer. I think Under the Skin is probably his magnum opus, although Sexy Beast is a masterpiece in its own right. I haven't seen Birth and I haven't seen most of his commercial work, but I will say this is severely disappointing from a director who, who is ultimately a master of his craft. This is a director also who has never made a bad film in my eyes. And then there's this. Now, I haven't seen Fall or The Fall, his previous short. If this is anything to go by, I will never watch it. This is an absolute disaster. If anybody's seen Gaspar Noe's Climax, you've seen this. And I think, say what you will about the Gaspar Noe and say what you will about Jonathan Glazer, but those two, a short film and a feature put together, even Jonathan Glazer's sort of outstanding directorial prowess does not shine through. This is a shadow of what Gaspar Noe's Climax is. And that film is, what, 80, 90 minutes long and does it far more so effectively with character. This has nothing. It's an interesting art performance, but it's nothing more than that. And that's been kind. It reminds me of homemade, of all things. A, a, a homemade short film shot in someone's what, second home in, in, somewhere in, in London. It just feels tragic. I can understand the backstory of, of, it, of its sort of why they would want to make this and, and where it's derived from, which is a, um, an actual event that happened 50, I think it's 500 years ago, which is an interesting um, sort of idea to explore, but not in a short film. Like if this is sort of to a emo- emotion or sort of this evocative 
flair it just fails completely this should if it's going to be made should be a feature film i think someone like lynch could really do a good job of this whereas i don't doubt jonathan glazer can make something special but he failed to sort of get his point across in 10 minutes to me and if this is just if if there's no point to this if someone says well there's actually no point to this short film he's just expressing something then he also fails on that front because it's not interesting either i mean the edit is effective and i think the music like you mentioned heightens the evocative nature to it but all in all, I think for, for, for a director of his talents, I think this is absolute trash. I'm glad you were. Glad you mentioned how he made. Uh, kind of bringing back our experiences with short films. And I, I was one, as soon as I finished this, I was wondering, I was like, if this was in Homemade, we would have trashed it. And I know you just have, but we would have trashed, trashed it for many of the same reasons that we kind of slated some of the other ones. So, as someone who's seen Sexy Beast and I've seen The Fall, so The Fall, the thing that was released last year, is about six minutes, so it's four minutes shorter than this. And there's way more plot to it. This is essentially just a, like an art installation. Like If you're into contemporary dance, then I think you'll get way more out of it than what, than what I will, and I think what most of us will as well. But for me, reading about the the actual real life basis of it was more interesting than seeing it represented in this film and obviously there's going to be parallels made between the time frame that this has come out and the actual real world situation we're in at the moment so could this be like an expression of like being trapped in a room but it's there's kind of no if you're going in cold to this there's nothing to latch onto it is literally t- people dancing for 10 minutes with some with some jazzy editing like a pulsating score but what are, what is the view meant to to get out of this like, i wasn't hypnotized by it particularly i'm not saying that we have to grab meaning from anything but some meaning would be nice and i think i don't want to kind of slate people too much for liking this because taste and whatever but i have a feeling that if this wasn't jonathan glazer then this would be getting nowhere near the amount of buzz as what it has done. Maybe it's a sign of like kind of BBC's output during during lockdown and stuff like that. But yeah, for me, it's like kind of whatever. Like, doesn't. I mean, it's not going to change my life or anything. But it's like made absolutely no impression on me. And I watched it yesterday. So yeah, I don't really have much more to say on it to be honest. So I'm in agreement with George on this one. Um, I think the other two are a little bit too favourable and a little bit too offended by it. Um, George and I are in agreement. I haven't really got a lot of feeling on this. It's a it's it's a short short. It's you know it's only ten minutes long. Um, the guy must have made it during lockdown, and it's kind of clear to see. You know how much involvement did he actually have in making this film if it's in lockdown? Um, certainly not when it comes to camera, but certainly with the edit, but then it's pretty much um, a camera stuck on people dancing in a room. I think the guy's bored. I think the director was bored and he wanted to do something. Maybe he wanted people to look up the story and find out a little bit more about it and the phenomena that it is. Um, and other than that, um, yeah, a bit of a music video, really. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, I guess it was a little bit uncomfortable. You can draw all these parallels to the way we are as a society and all that. But 
for me, it doesn't show anything in the in the way of the director and what he can do. Um, so I wouldn't speak too highly of it or too negative of it, really. Uh, I don't think it's something really massively profound. All right, yeah, well, I guess it is good seeing uh, Glazer back in the music video industry. You know, I am a big fan of his Virtual Insanity music video. Um, I think it's a very visually stunning short. Uh, I think it's very energetic, you know, as as a music video, but it is it is very hard to see um, the short film label put on it. Um, I think it's it's art made during the coronavirus pandemic. You know, that's the big elephant in the room about it. Um, I find it um, that it kind of appeals to people who kind of <laughs> got sick of making bread in their homes, you know, during the coronavirus. Uh, I think it kind of um, looks in the wrong direction of uh, where where to look um, about this whole thing. You know, <laughs> I think it's a, a little little nihilistic. I think it's um, may makes the uh, routine, the everyday routine of um, being locked indoors. It seems like hysterical, making people crazy. You know, I think that's that's the wrong kind of kind of lens to have on it you know i think i think glazer is bored and i think he he's frustrated about his boredom i think that's what he's trying to convey in this piece but you know i don't i don't think it's it's the right method for it i think this is attacking no one in particular but i think if people are using the word profound evocative provocative on this short i think it's the biggest reach since halo this is a far bigger problem with this industry is that an auteur of existential mood and thematic weight makes a, 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 a short film and then it, it happens to have to have a meaning to it. This is so hollow, it's unbelievable. And it's a bigger problem that I've got with A24 in general is that they've got this exclusivity with Jonathan Glazer to make the short. But what actually has this got to say about anything except for to sort of provide this visceral, or sorry, Fork's visceral manner where in, in actual fact it's just... Jonathan Glazer sort of shaking the, the, the stone in his shoe and getting on with it. It just doesn't mean anything. And I think it's a waste of everyone else's time, especially Glazer's. But my point about A24 is that there's, there's, there's this constant sort of routine with them where they're making this film, I don't want to drag everyone, but film Twitter-esque. Let's say it's this tried and tested method of creating something evocative with flair and flavor with an interesting aesthetic. And then everybody tries to find this existential meaning to it. And, and unfortunately, you can't do that to everything, whereas A24 believes they can do. And this is one of the prime examples where it falls so flat on its ass. I'm, I'm, I'm just to reiterate, I'm not to get <laughs> overhyped here. I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Glazer and, and what everyone's spoken here, they are as well. Why do, why do this? Like, what does, it, what does it mean? What does this happen? What, this just damages Jonathan Glazer's effect to the zeitgeist, if anything, for me. Now, I can understand that, you know, you've got Scorsese who made the American Express ad you've got lynch who made the adidas ad and you've got spike lee who makes nike ads i get that i get that it's an interesting idea to do and it it sort of replenishes the uh, uh the the weight and food that you need to take in to to then go out again and make a feature for three years of your life i get that i understand that however at least with the commercial you can have sort of this aesthetic in three minutes or even less let's say 60 seconds and you can have your stamp on it lynch i mean look at um ridley scott's apple adverts like they're, they're, they're i mean they're influential is an understatement uh, and then you have just short films like this and it's just 
this probably should have been kept uh, behind closed doors and, and just had that, that pebbling issue and just roughing it out and, and ironing something out. Because to be honest, this is a detriment for me and his career. I know that's like a, such a hyperbolic and personal statement to make, but I'm just, I just don't understand why this was made. It's, it's not like he can't do it either. I know you haven't watched The Fall, but um, even though I'm not absolutely crazy on that, in, in less time, even though it's not completely definitive and it's like an ambiguous ending, I think everyone who's watched that has similar um, like touchstone as to what they think it's about regarding like the rise of fascism and mob rule. So even even with something he did a few months ago, there's a clear comparison. So he, he can do it. But this is like... I mean, it is a music video. There's no other way of putting it. It's, it's a glorified music video that's dragged out to like probably three times the length it actually should be. In, in in many ways, I think it's actually more a showcase for what um, Mika Levy can do rather than and the dancers as well, rather than what Glazer can do. Because as Ashley alluded to, he's not doing anything with a uh, with camera um with camera movements. They're stationary cameras. The only thing he's probably in control of is the editing. Because I'm I'd guess that he's not a well averse in um in dance either he's probably just left it up to them to do what they want he said just you know frolic about in your uh, in your in your open spaces and I'll see what I can muster up and I think that's the uh, the end result unfortunately the one thing that worries me about Jonathan Glazer is that every time he makes a feature it's an event for me personally and I think that coming out with something like The Fall and 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 something like Strasbourg 1518 I think it I don't want to sound like so egotistical but I think it undermines his talent as a director as well because you have that sort of these inklings of of, of cinema where it's just, it just doesn't need to be done that like you don't have to sort of I imagine directing a film is ultimately like riding a bike I mean you can you can stop doing it for years and years but once you get on the bike it's like you did it yesterday so, you know Terence Malick's a good example of that although he might be um an anomaly to the equation but I don't really like the, the 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 excuse of well, you know, I don't want to say don't like. I just don't think it's it's fair where someone says, well, you know, maybe he was just bored, maybe he's just trying to get back into the swing of things. I just think it damages overall filmographer, and I know that's again egotistical, but it's, it's one thing I appreciate about Tarantino is that Tarantino's ten and done because he doesn't want to do the Alfred Hitchcock thing where you have a have a I don't know something like Psycho and then you go on a few years and you just make film after film and then you have the family plot where it's just what what happened you know so I appreciate that in Tarantino and I think Jonathan Glazer you don't need to make these short films to showcase that you're you're an auteur you are an auteur your features speak for that in itself but the fact that we're talking about him is probably the reason he did it or at least someone wanted him to do it it's just about staying relevant and staying in the public eye um maybe there's a reason behind that maybe there's something coming out um or maybe there were some clips of his new film coming out or something but they had to put it off and decided to do something uh, additional instead uh, it's a possibility but we're all talking about him so you know that's the job done really for him well I think what Jack was saying also brings up another question, which is how should short films be viewed in a director's filmography? 
Because, yeah, I know, like you guys were saying, this film is not deep at all. There is not really a deeper meaning to it. But, yeah, while it's a short film, most features who have good deeper meanings and actual themes take up one to two to three hours to explore those themes. And they can be seen as, oh, okay, it was a good exploration of deeper themes. But short films, especially from established directors I've seen, aren't, like, for instance, The Fall, yeah, has a couple of things, but it's not as much of as, like, what's the thematic context of it. It's more about the technical side of it and in terms of maybe exploring a concept or a pretty, just experimenting with things they can do. For instance, I don't think anyone would take Nolan's Quay Brothers documentary, which was about three, I think, six minutes long, three to six minutes long. No one would put that on the same pedestal as The Dark Knight or Inception or critique it in the same way. Same with Lynch's short films. Lynch has been releasing one minute short films on his YouTube channel. No one's panning them because, oh, they're not ambitious enough or, oh, they don't explore anything to a deeper level. They're taken more as, oh, they're taking a, taken as experiments or as things to kind of just be experienced rather than something to kind of analyze. And I do feel that maybe the fall, not as much, but this short, as you guys would say, music video is more about the technical aspects of it and how he he's exploring his technical side and he just wants to get content out there. But I don't think it should be held up to that pedestal, both positive and negative of like a deeper meaning. Because like it sh nothing should be ripped apart. A short film shouldn't be ripped apart for a deeper meaning when it's only 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe 30 minutes there, like it, it would have time to properly ex explore themes. But in this case, I, don't, I think it should be viewed more as a technical experiment rather than something that can be held up to under the skin or any of his other films. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. Um... Yeah, I, I think Ashley's on to something by uh, when he said that Jonathan Glazer kind of made it out of boredom. I think this is kind of a reactionary piece to the quarantine. I think Jonathan, Jonathan Glazer uh, threw down his bread making kit, said, I'm bored, and then decided to, um, I guess, get a film crew around the world and film the world's greatest dancers and try to make it, make it about um, hysteria. Um, yeah, I it's it's hard to talk about um the thematic content when it's it's 10 minutes and it's a, a very repetitive piece, you know, it's it's about these dancers doing the same thing, you know, in these same dance routines as time goes on. And you know, I think it's it's um difficult cuz it's not supposed to be like a narrative short film. So it's it's all just based on kind of interpreting what you're seeing. But, you know, I do think it's it's a very technically sound piece. Uh, you know, the, the camera work feels amateurish and shaky. I think the soundtrack is great. I'm definitely going to be looking into uh, Mika Levi's discography after this. Uh, you know, it's got a great kind of breakbeat, almost death grips kind of flavor to it. Um, but, you know, I think... <laughs> Uh, it is definitely, um, I have kind of taken it um, differently from his, his longer films, but I do think that it kind of has that same weakness where his films are very technically sound, they're very atmospheric, but I think thematically they're very dry. I just wanted to um, kind of go back to Diego's point about judging short films. So 
uh, especially with uh, say uh, Pixar's releases. So obviously they um, have a short film that kind of uh, comes before the the main feature, and they actually do take uh, like a like a meaning on their own, and there is a quite a large fan base for them. And I think so. Some examples like Piper. And there was one with um two volcanoes as well that I can't remember the name of, but I know I know they ain't kind of going for different things. But even in those short things, which are like maybe four minutes long, there is like a clear story there. And I know Glazer. I do acknowledge that Glazer is um not really that kind of filmmaker, but with I mean, there's no harm in trying. Like obviously, you don't have to lay stories out. And whereas Pixar are aiming at, aiming them for kids and families, they're going to be different. But to me, this just well, it makes absolutely no attempt to do anything other than puts put a camera there and then label it as art. Like this guy can obviously hold a camera. If you watch Sexy Beast, which come out like twenty years ago now, we all know that. I don't need this ten minute short film to prove it. So, I mean. Yeah, as Jack was saying, like, I don't think we can say oh, he needs to get back into the swing of things or anything. So I think saying that, oh, we just need to view this as like a like a technical exercise, I'd kind of expect better than that, really. Like if you kind of maybe fiddling around with software, what's the point? Like and there's many people who are labelling this thing as art as well. So it's not like everyone's thinking the same thing about it. There are people who genuinely really like this. So I think there is like a much more meaningful discussion to be had about this rather than panning it off as like some technical exercise. I would say that you're correct, but I would also bring up the case that I'd say there may be two different types of short films made in this world. One are the people who are breaking into the industry or who have stuck just to shorts who, yeah, they definitely have to put in much more effort and the short film should have a meaning for it to succeed, like most of the Pixar shorts you'd be saying. But like I said, when an established director goes from making features to a short film, I, it, I've noticed a pretty common trend. Obviously, there's going to be exceptions, but there's a pretty common trend of them, like, like Jack was saying, instead of like going back and trying to make something ambitious or super thematic in a short, they'd rather save that for a feature. So like for instance, also Jorgos Lanthimos, he made a short film called Limic, I think. Yeah, it's not very, doesn't have that many, that much of a deeper meaning. It's more about the concept itself and kind of the technical side of it. These directors don't have a pressure or don't feel a need to express broader concepts or like broader themes in a short film because they have the means to do it in, in a feature length film. So I feel like for like more established directors look at short films more as a ways to exercise concepts while other, other upcoming filmmakers like the directors of the Pixar shorts are looking at it more in terms of like a thematic way. Diego, I have a question for you. I'm just interested to know whether or not, would you recognize this short that was made by uh, Jonathan Glazer? Um, because I believe a true auteur is someone that no matter what they do, you can identify their signature. Um, Jack mentioned Quentin Tarantino before, one of my favourites, and I believe anything that he does, you would recognise as being um, his style. 
so he's a definite auteur in my view and I'm sure many other people's um, I remember he did a film that was more of an anthology uh, called Four Runes back in the 90s and he just tacked on this little short um, which was the final piece I think from memory serves of the film and it's very clear that it's Quentin Tarantino um, so he's um, he's able to get across his style um, within just a 10 minute uh, short segment. So I was just wondering um, what your opinion on that was with regards to Jonathan Glazier and this short and whether or not you could have recognized, say if you'd watched it by chance. Yeah, I do think that I would have recognized it as a Jonathan Glazier short because I think his defining trait is that above all else, he prioritizes creating and like a crafting a great atmosphere over story, over I'd say cinematography, over anything else. His main concern is crafting atmosphere. And that in all of his work that I've seen, like I said, commercials, music videos, and his feature films, I can tell maybe in terms of like a couple of minutes at most that it's his film because of the way that he doesn't, he has a story. Yeah, he has a story there, but he kind of abandons it and just focuses on creating an atmosphere which, like I said, it's kind of an unexplainable quality, but there were parts where just where the music, uh, the the dance moves, just everything, and even like the the background noise, it just gels together in a way that you can tell it's like a perfectly crafted atmosphere. And in my opinion, that is what kind of defines Jonathan Glazer. So yeah, I would say that I would definitely have recognized that short. Maybe not at the beginning, but especially at least a couple minutes in, I definitely could have seen it as his short. Just to put my two cents here, I would strongly disagree with your point, Diego. I don't think anyone without a keen eye, and I mean keen eye, I mean detailed beyond belief, could put this and Jonathan Glazer's previous filmography together. I just think them two are two, two different beings, Strasbourg, 1518, and anything else he's made. Maybe not The Fall, but I haven't seen it, unfortunately. I think they're two distinctly different pieces of filmography. If someone showed me this and... I'd like to think I've got a, a pretty good eye for it. There's no way I would have thought this was Jonathan Glazer. No chance. If anything, as I mentioned before, this feels like a Gaspar No. It just it, it feels like, um, like I said, climax. It just it just screams it to me. It, it just feels like completely against type. And 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 again, I, 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 not to move the, the 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 point on, but I have to take it back to back to A24 because this to me feels like like I said about the exclusivity. It just feels like they're going to sink mileage out of this. Like Nick, Nick was talking about, he'd go out and buy, buy the soundtrack. And I think everybody here is more or less on board to say the, the score is undoubtedly the, the highlight here. But I just think, it's, again, it's another A24 tactic of putting something out that has one sort of wonderful feature to it, and then they will sell that exclusively. So we're going to see like $70 vinyls for this. And then that's how A24 are going to build out of this. It just feels like a money-making scheme to me now, rather than a full-fledged short film. And everything I've said before, it just always goes back to A24. I just, there was no point for this to me, but it feels like, a very strange point, but it feels like George Lucas and Star Wars just making characters for toys. And this, it feels the same principle here with A24. Just, you know, it just has a different look of pain and you call it something else. It, all it's going to do is going to, it's going to craft elitist elitist class attitude on Twitter or on in, 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 in film in general because it has a great score and then people will identify this as being a masterpiece in fact when it's clearly not 
And then all these A24 bros are going to be like, oh, it's amazing. They're going to dish out like, what, $70 a piece on, on a vinyl. And then to what extent this gets a release, I don't know. I know it's streaming on BBC iPlayer in the UK, which is most of Glazer's films have. And it's exclusively on A24 in the US. It just feels like it's just a money-making device to me at this point. And with what we spoke about for 40 minutes, and it's a 10-minute short, I just, I'm just i sort of lost at words with this now. Like the more I think about it, the more I'm disillusioned with the whole thing. Yeah, I definitely see your concerns. I mean, honestly, when I was saying that it, you could tell that it was a Glazer film, I was referring more to the, like, at least the directorial aspects of it. Because like I said, the story, I definitely agree with you. It's like, well, it's even though he doesn't have much story in his work, it's completely different from anything he's ever done before. But I was looking at it as more of a like a directorial point of view and just like bringing everything together. And I do feel like you say that Michael Levi's score could have contributed to that because that is something that I would notice right away and associate with Glazer. But I do have to say that your cynical take on your cynical take of how A24 is managing on this, I have to agree with as well. Like I, I wouldn't doubt seeing people spending 70, 100 bucks and making of books or vinyls or anything like that just to profit off of this short. And that is something that even though I'm a huge Glazer fan, I, I wouldn't do that at all. I would not partake in that. But yeah, I do feel that it's getting a little bit tired. Let's move next to Dave Franco's directorial debut, The Rental. Just came to say we'll be outside. I won't say anymore. He had nothing to do with this. I'm already guilty. Who you are, you didn't do anything. I didn't call the police. If we get caught, I'm an accomplice to murder, just like you and Mina. say you weren't even here. Just go. Go do what you need to do so we can get out of here. It'll be over soon, I promise. This will never be over. Two couples on an oceanside getaway grow suspicious that the host of their seemingly perfect rental house may be spying on them. Before long, what should have been a celebratory weekend trip turns into something far more sinister. Ashley, you're reviewing this for the site. Let's begin with you. I'm a huge lover of horror films. I watch them more than any other genre. So I was really looking forward to this one. Um, I actually like Dan Stevens. I like the cast. Um, I've met Dan Stevens very briefly. Nice guy. Um, although it was very brief. But the film itself um, was a bit disappointing for me. I was expecting something bigger, something grander, something with more um, mystery to it. That's not to say that it doesn't have some plus points. Um, right from the very beginning, with the very first shot, I felt like I knew that where this film was going to go. I think it's the first shot, it's at least one of the first shots. And I wasn't wrong, it, it went down that route. Now, when it went down that route, it wasn't bad. It was, it was enjoyable. I was enjoying the interactions between the, car, the, the characters. Um, and I forgot that I was watching a horror film. I was enjoying the interactions, seeing where it was gonna 
yeah, we knew, I don't want to spoil anything, but we kind of, I felt like I knew where it was going to go within the characters, within the group. Um, and it did go there and I was enjoying it. And the horror aspect or the mystery aspect, I'm not sure what genre necessarily you would put this under, went completely missing for me until the very end. And it felt like it was tacked on. And it wasn't as if there was any big reveals or big story plots. It just happened. And that's a bit criminal for me. Um, I do feel, though, that the director may well, uh, and it's a very accomplished, if it's his first film by uh, Dave Franco, then it's a very accomplished film, uh, the way it looks, the way it feels. He gets the best out of his actors. Um, so it wasn't as much that I wasn't enjoying it. It was more that it left me feeling like I wasn't satisfied. And if it was his intention to have a horror film, one of the reasons why horror gets criticised is because you, know, you might have this whole this huge cast of um, uh, people getting slashed and faces sliced off and whatnot, and no one really cares about them. Um, and that's one of the things that you know good horror films um, challenge, and they will try and address that. Um, have some character development, etc. So this film definitely had that. Um, but then the horror that was tacked on felt um, as if it was second. It was a second thought. So it wasn't even as if we had the good payoff on these characters that we we came to like or dislike, depending on your view. Um, and for me, that just felt a bit criminal. So. I feel like it was a bit rushed. So for me, I just felt that it was disappointing and it, there wasn't a really a lot of originality to it. The marketing, marketing campaign suggested there would be more mystery. Um, the poster, a very attractive poster, really made you look at it and think that you were going to watch something new and something different um, with some famous names attached. And what, I, what we got was, wasn't quite, it was, it was, rather bland in my opinion i kind of feel the same way about it as a as ashley it's actually quite an odd film in the fact that it's weirdly cliched so it goes exactly the way that you think it will but it leaves you thinking kind of strange feeling kind of strange that it did go that way because you are expecting it to do something new and it doesn't. I think the one, the kind of slight thing that it does try and do, as Ashley alluded to, is actually dedicate time to its characters, and I, I think it actually needs to be commended for that. But I think that's more um, the input of a uh, Joe Swanberg, who's co-written this with a uh, Dave Franco. If anyone familiar with uh, Swanberg's work, it's like considered one of the key figures in the mumblecore movement. So, for long periods of this, there is actually very little thrills and scares because it is devoting the time to its characters and initially they seem like really just one-dimensional and while i don't think they ever become three-dimensional we'll we'll say they're like kind of two-dimensional there's a there's enough there to keep you invested it doesn't doesn't properly manage it but it, it, it keep me invested for all of it and i think when the the plot beats start coming in I was taken aback by actually how cliched it was, but it actually, it didn't put me off too much. I was, it 
I kind of stuck with it. I, I was thinking, I was like, oh, they are really going to go down the tried and tested route, but it never, it never, um, it never spoiled it for me. I think the um, when the thrills come in, I think they they handled quite well with the visuals. Like, it's absolutely nothing groundbreaking, as I've said, but I think it's it's done rather well. I'm sure we're going to touch on this in a minute. There's an end segment that I don't know if I like it or I dislike it, and it's we can't go into the specifics of it, but it, it I don't know if it feel if it's like genius or it feels like it's been tapped on. It doesn't actually say anything, but it's like this really interesting thing that they do. It kind of feels like half like sequel baiting, half kind of reimagining what you've seen before as well. So there's this really strange ending to it as well that I'm not sure if I like. I'm not sure if I dislike, but overall, I think it's it's a solid debut. It's it's uninspired. It definitely doesn't scream out like, oh, this is like Dave Franco. But I think overall, um, I think it's it's qu- quite fun. I think this would benefit from being at the cinemas. Actually, I think it would because watching it at home on a screen, you do lose that edge from it like on a small screen. But yeah, overall, I mean, it's not going to be remembered. Like, I know Jack has got his. He's got some opinions on this. I'm not. I'm not going to say positive or negative. But he's got some opinions on this, so he might differ with me. For me, I think it's fine. It's quite unmemorable, but I think while it was on, it was reasonably engaging and quite entertaining. Yeah. So no, I I think I, I enjoy the rental, even though it is a very very predictable film. It does feel like Dave Franco went to screenings of Get Out and Midsummer and went, I want to do that. You know, pointing at the screen like he's uh, Brad Pitt in his chair. You know, on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I I did like the performances. I think um the script reads very well. You know, for a kind of horror thriller slasher film. Um, I think it's kind of interesting to see the dynamics of, you know, two couples with their own kind of histories and how that kind of um, plays out into betrayals up, up until the, the last minute. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of how I took it. But, you know, it's it's stiff competition. You know, all I could think about was, man, I'd rather be watching Midsummer. You know, it's it's kind of that that same vein. Yeah. Um, as as for the ending, George, I I have to say that was probably my favorite part. Um, I yeah, I, I don't want to get into the specifics, but I do love kind of the tone of the ending. I and how um, very matter of fact it is. But um, o- overall, you know, I think the rental is going to please you know whoever seeks it out. You know, but I don't think anyone you know over the age of 21 is gonna gonna really get anything out of it i think it's you know baby's first slasher thriller you know so i thought it was actually a very promising directorial debut from dave franco and originally before watching it i thought it would maybe be kind of like those horror b movies just the bottom of the barrel you go five dollar walmart bin but i actually really enjoyed it and yeah like in terms of how it was made especially for a first-time film. I loved the lighting. The color correction was great. The score was really well put together. Just, I'd say the whole film, you could tell that it was like made with someone who has like a, a little bit of a style. The thing is, the story, in my opinion, especially the first half, 
where it kind of dissolves into more like a relationship drama, it does hold it back a lot. And the story is, I'd say, pretty generic, which ultimately holds back just the film. Although, like I said, the ending is, I, I like the ending. The ending is, I'd say it's mysterious. It's not ambiguous, but it's mysterious enough to kind of keep you hooked and to like keep you thinking about it for a little bit. But I really think what happened here is that the story held it back a bit, but you can definitely tell that Dave Franco has a vision. And if he's able to get on board the right story, it, he could be known as a great filmmaker in the future. I feel like I might be the anomaly here, so I'm gonna have to stand my ground. Um, so George alluded to my, my, my uh, opinion of it. I think this is a master of a debut film. And I'm gonna go into a few specifics of why I think that. But I think everything that all three of you have just said, everything that you didn't like, I think I did, which is very strange, but I, I, hope, I hope we can t- touch on that. I think for the most part, I was actually relatively surprised with this because for the last few weeks, specifically on Clappercast, we've been looking at a lot of films and recently there's been a trend of directorial debuts like uh, Natalie Erica James's Relic, that's a directorial debut. And um, we've been seeing a lot of, you know, debuts in general at the moment so it's interesting that Dave Franco is now on the bandwagon it's always interesting to see an actor going to sort of the director's chair because it can turn out to be like a Bradley Cooper-esque thing or it can turn out to be um, Ryan Gosling's you know whatever that was so it's always interesting to see how an actor approaches behind the camera right when they're in front of it and for the most part I think this is genuinely pretty good pretty really good stuff if I'm honest um I think he's very, very assured uh, behind the camera. And he showcases not only wonderful skill, um, but a mature understanding of genre. There's no ego here. It's not a Dear Franco film. It's just the rental. And that's one thing I really appreciate because often they're not horror. It's a great stand, standing po- starting point, should I say, for a direct look at Danny Boyle. Um, you know, the, the, the list can go on and on, on and on. Um, and, you know, the director can evolve and to, to make... Um, to very different things. And I think where a shallow grave is very similar to this in, in more ways than one, it's a Danny Boyle film. This isn't a Dear Franco film. And again, I like that less of ego. I like that we're just seeing a film and we're not seeing Dear Franco's version of it. So that's a one thing I, I noticed straight away. But I think it's it's a restraint horror is another element I really like. It, it, it starts as something. And as this, and I'll allude to further on down the line, in its third act, it, act, sorry, it goes into something very different. I'll touch on that a little bit, but being restrained allows genre convention to flourish without trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, a lot of people here have said that, you know, it's, it's quite derivative. It, it, it's, you know, there's nothing new here. But that's what I think that's an element I really enjoyed because it wasn't like watching someone try and reinvent the wheel and making a brick, you know, like it's just not, you just you're trying to make something that's that's been crafted to perfection and i think i I appreciate the fact that dear franco's gone in here and just gone in and made a stone cold um a thriller slash horror without trying to sort of put this science fiction or monster you know flourish onto it which would then elevate it to be something completely different which a lot of directors do and that's one thing i I think that john peel does very well with get out where there's not, and I think that's what us sort of fails in is that he's trying to add a little bit too much on us rather than keep it grounded. And I think that's why Get Out will always be a better film than us, although I do, I do enjoy both of them. But throughout, this is a film that is less of the what and why, with more a direct, direct focus on the now. There is 
and I've said it before, there is zero excess here. Everything that's in the film relates to the film. There's nothing that's going to be sort of this random character. There's going to be nothing else here that's a third-party character where it comes in at the end, although we'll get to that in a second. This is a film that has a complete direct focus on these characters, and with that, it flourishes. And I know that there's been sort of comments about, you know, these characters are very two-dimensional, as George said. But I found that their problems were, were, were akin to their situation. It wasn't like something had... There is one thing that follows the characters before the story, but everything inside felt like a brooding pot and it felt natural, it felt organic. So it was, it was like cabin fever um, in more ways than one, but nothing regarding Eli Ross' film. But it's, it's a film that's far less focused on the details instead presents a fallen, fall, like a solid foundation of a slasher. And the one thing I came away from this, which I think will be a good touching point after I've made my uh, hot take in a second, but if anything, and then this, is gonna be, this is also going to be a hot take, if anybody is wanting to make a Friday the 13th reboot, Dear Franco is your man, because this is exactly what they need. Subtlety, they need a horror in, in, in small doses that's vicious, but it's not overpowering to become um, iconic and, and ironic. It, this is the man you need because here it just felt like a Friday the 13th film to me. You just take Jason out of it and put something else in, but it, it, it felt exactly that. And I like the, I wouldn't say it's subverted take because then that contradicts my point of reinventing the wheel, but I appreciate how the narrative goes one way in convention and then twists it with another. And it feels like two ge- generally c- contrived plots going into one it's a film that will leave people cold because it's ultra linear there's nothing here that you're not going to see anywhere else it's very very conventional and um but there's sort of like a trope silence here it's a, it, 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 I, I wasn't relatively surprised or anything but i was affected by it and that's one aspect i really appreciated i think it's a solid and effective thriller that offers much to anticipate in the wake of if his directorial career like like diego mentioned I'm there after this. I really am. The one thing I'll say about the ending is that there was a film a few years ago, which I had the horrific pleasure of seeing in the cinema called Hellfest by Gregory Plotkin, which I know Ashley's seen. And it's a film that is conventional to a T about five characters in, in this haunt, like in this, let's say haunted part uh, uh, well, I'd say like a festival park. And um, there's a character, like a villain who's following them and he's murdering one by one. And it's a film, for the, for the most part, is absolute trash because it just doesn't do anything new. And it's a film that's very similar to this in the way that it, it follows convention to a point. But towards the end, there's a reveal. And it's a very, very similar to what happens in this, where there's a third-party character. But the reveal here is that the fact that you don't know who the murderer is, you don't know who the villain is. But at the end, the most chilling, surprising element is that the killer you see drive home go to this, well, not to drive home, I suppose, but it drives to a house and there's a little girl playing in the front room and it's, and it's, it's revealed to be like Halloween night. And all of a sudden, this character uh, puts this knife behind, it, behind his back and you think, all right, here we go, it's sequeled there. And all of a sudden, he puts the knife down, sits down, takes his mask off and then, then uh, cuddles the kid like it's his own. And it's like the most unnerving thing where you've been watching a murderer for, what, 85 minutes and then they, they humanize him. And it sort of elevates what you've seen before, but to a point where it's not a very good film to begin with. But I think Dave Franco does the exact same thing here, not in the same way as it's not a spoiler, but he humanizes this, let's say, villain to a point where it's incredibly unnerving. 
And I really did. I really appreciate that. I was quite shocked that he'd done that because there's only relatively one jump scare in here. And it was like, woof. but it's, it's, it's literally just like a Friday the 13th trope. But he did it so effectively. And I think his camera work's really impressive. His use of space is, is quite good. How he uses setting, it's not, it's not claustrophobic and the house itself's not a character like in Hereditary or, or, or let's say Get Out. Uh, and and to, that, to, to that degree, I, I sort of appreciate it because we focus on the characters. And there is sort of like some very strange elements here where I'm like, does that need to be in here? But I, and overall, it's, no, it's zero excess fat again. And you get back to the point where I just disagree with everyone, uh, with everyone that said something about this. Like, I would consider this, if you're going to see a director or debut from, as a masterclass of, of, of talent, I know this is going to be hyperbolic and I, I might get, you know, I might eat a shit sandwich for this, but this is the film I would show to someone. This is a stunner for a director debut, in my opinion. To reply to Jack, um, I've got a couple of points I'd like to make. Um, but firstly, I would like to say that though I've heard what you've said, and, I, and although I don't agree, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Of course, you have your opinion, and um, that's what we're here to discuss and, and give opinion, of course, just like when we were talking about the previous film, um, Diego had his thoughts, and that was, a, that was interesting to hear why he could see something that maybe the rest of us couldn't. Um, and like you, Jack, you, you've seen something here of um, a masterclass, is it you could said, for a, a directorial debut. Um, I, on the other hand, would just add to that a couple of things that you mentioned and just say that from what you said and the reasons why you liked it, and maybe other people listening will feel the same way, um, it, as a challenge to that, I would say that, that it was too safe for a directorial debut, in my opinion. Um, but certainly the filmmaking itself is accomplished, and I get that, and I, I agree with you. You know, you're, you're watching a film that doesn't necessarily even feel like a debut. Um, it's very polished. It looks good. Um, as I said before, you know, he's got, the, he's got the best out of his actors, etc. But there was one moment just a minute ago, Jack, that I had to roll my eyes back. And you mentioned Friday the 13th, and you mentioned it in comparison, not fully in comparison, but you just mentioned it even in the same breath as this film. And uh, I have to disagree massively. And anyone listening uh, who is a huge horror fan, and I'm not entirely sure whether Jack, I know Jack's watched lots of films. I don't know whether or not he is a massive horror fan in particular. Um, I know he likes all genres. Um, he's a film watcher. But, um, and anyone watch, looking at his letterbox will see that he watches a lot of films. Um, however, I am someone who leans towards the genre. And I will have to say that, um, no offense to Dave Franco, because you know he's got a hell of a future ahead of him and he is a fine actor too. But there's nothing here to suggest that he knows much about horror, um, in my opinion. And that is only really because I'm basing it on what I see. Um, he may well know loads about horror and, but what I commended him for in my um, in my my review now, I commend him for is exactly what other people have mentioned too. Is that there is character um, depth, I think, um, to a degree. Um, however, I would say that the character depth is a bit predictable. It was still enjoying. Everyone, I think, here is in agreement that it was it was it had your attention, it held your attention, and sure enough, you enjoyed going on down this route with them. But I have to admit, I found like I knew exactly what route we were going down. Um, and then the horror was tacked on. So in my opinion, it's, he doesn't get the both of 
best worlds. Maybe he was trying to, but you know, he's tried to to do both horror and uh, character depth, or at least decent, engaging character interaction story-wise. And and he kind of, you know, I'm sorry, Dave, if you're listening, but uh, <laughs> he kind of didn't quite manage to do either because maybe because of the runtime is a bit too um, short or maybe because the horror wasn't realized enough. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone watching. And if you do, if you are listening and you don't want to know what happens, maybe I'm not going to spoil it completely, but I just want to say that I don't think that the, you know, people that love the genre, they want to see, um, you know, some gore. They want to see something that's a bit um, horror genre related. And I actually think that, it was a bit of it was a bit of a damp squid when it came to the some of the characters getting off, if you like. Um, you didn't really see much at times. Um, there was one that you saw a little bit, and okay, it's not about the gore necessarily, but if you are a horror fan, um, you know the gore if it's done well and it's done within the, the confines of the genre, expanding the genre with story, etc. You know you're onto a winner. Um, you mentioned films like uh, Get Out, and I would also add some other films like, um, um, oh dear, Mind Blank. <laughs> uh, what's that film called? Um, You're Next. So let me say that again. You mentioned films like Get Out and You're Next, which I think uh, uh, Joe is also attached to. Uh, Joe Swanberg. Am I right, George? I think. And uh, anyway, this film is, um, you know, it has that element. It also has an element of comedy. But you do have a lot of um, characters that you care about more in a in a humour sense, but you do care about, and there is some decent deaths and some some tricks up its sleeve, and definitely some home invasion horror. You know, it has a whole mixture. So, without rambling too much, I just wanted to say that I think that this film doesn't quite um, it tackles a few different issues and doesn't quite um, manage to measure up against any of them. But directorial debut, you know, it's his first film. I'm sure he'll go on to do much, much more and probably better films. Um, but if he is going to do the Friday the 13th film or the remake, any remakes happen, he needs to really um, expand on his horror genre thrills, I would say. But there is also something else that's touched upon, like everything, there's lots of things touched upon. There's something else touched upon that George, I know, wanted to mention. Um, so I'll just hand you over to George. George, you want to mention what you were, you were saying just a minute ago? Yeah, I was just going to agree with you. I do think this film lacks, uh, lacks blood and guts because it towards the end it does it is effectively a slasher film, but it doesn't have the like, the kind of grit that it really needs to make that those tropes actually like pop out at the screen. So it, it retains like the the stylistic elements of a thriller, but it has the the plot mappings of a slasher, and I don't think it ever like reconciles the two of them greatly. It still manages to be like entertaining, as I said, but it it does feel like it's it's missing. It even needs to kind of go down one route, and even needs to go like absolutely balls to the wall with the horror element, and like make the violence absolutely explode, or keep it because um, I know. Diego earlier was saying mysterious. I think equally you could say it's a little bit vague as well, in my opinion. But what I was going to touch on was um, 
some of the kind of thematic stuff that's done quite early on in the film regarding um race, regarding um I think her name's Sheila Vaughn's character. So she it's not it's not a spoiler because it's all at the start of the film. So there's this idea that um so uh, Sheila Vaughn's character, she's an Asian character, and she references early on that she tried booking uh like a, a a place at this at this house and it was declined. And then Dan Stevens' character subsequently books it and his his um his request is approved. And there's this like lingering tension that is the is the guys coming in and out of the house? Is there is there racist elements there? Is there racist undertones? And I thought that was actually really promising because even her friends kind of bat this stuff away. They're like, oh, he maybe he was just inundated with requests and stuff. And I think it actually does a good job of showing how specifically ethnic minority people can be uh, unheard and voiceless. And then it's weirdly dropped. Of, I think it's inevitable with the way the story goes. It's going to be dropped. But it's quite abruptly dropped. I thought, obviously, they're going to they're getting wrapped up in this situation. But it again, like you, like Ashley alluded to, certain things were tacked on, and that was one of them that I think just needed that little bit more depth going into it, rather than because then we could. But I don't know how much anyone else is going to say about this but rather than it being like a little thing that we mentioned this could actually be like a really positive thing to come out of this film that we could talk about like in in reasonable depth but i I mean i've just spoiled everyone else but i don't think there's much else to say in it after what i've just said about it like maybe other people have got something to say about it I'll just respond to Ashley first and I'll move on to your point, George. I think the biggest thing that Ashley pointed out, and I think that you can probably tell the difference between his his idea of horror and mine, which I think is fully respectable, is that I think I prefer horror that's elevated. To, I know everyone hates that word, but heightened because of its social um, uh, construct in society. So I, I like I like this new wave of horror from, you know, the Babadook in, in the Australia that we're seeing with, you know, the likes of Relic and, you know, we're seeing Hereditary and Midsummer and the Get Outs and, you know, Split and, and Glass. I like those horror films where there's there's like a social construct behind them, whereas it's clear that Ashley prefers, you know, the uh, blood guts and, and, and all, all things spilled, and I, and I appreciate that. And I think, I think that's what people are going to have a problem with this film is that I think it, it, it alludes to one thing and, and it's very restrained in the other. And I think it may be detrimental. I don't want to contradict my own point, but it might be detrimental to even call this a horror at this point. I don't think it is actually. I think it is more of a thriller with uh, horror undertones. And I think that's why I liked it more because it's, it's far more restraint of, you know, just a mass murder going out of a house and killing people. I mean, we've seen that times a dozen and to that, I appreciate that, um, you know, he's going around all the houses and stuff, but it's at least an interesting take to have. But the Friday the 13th comparison, I just want to put forward because I think, the one thing that Friday the 13th lacks is its awareness of, of setting and space. I think it's, it's one element that should be really utilised in those films. And it's just not. And I think here, Dear Franco at least uses sort of these settings. You know, again, it's conventional. It's full of tropes. But you have, you have sort of mist everywhere. And you have this sense of, of impending doom. And everything's dark. And there's, there's, a, there's a sequence where we see characters run through a forest and it's very akin to something like Friday the 13th. I just think that series in general needs sort of this reinvention of a push 
to, 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 to have something that we don't need to plug guts and go anymore. But I think purists, and, 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 and there's a massive fan base on the horror films because they're iconic, you know, 1979. Halloween's another one where they've tried to go in and reinvent the wheel and they've just done the same thing. I think it's the same issue that Star Wars has had and it's going to be an issue that plagued the whole trilogy. But uh, going back to, 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 um, to the rental, I think it's a film where its latter half is also sort of a big misconception. I think it feels like it doesn't have a third act. It, it, it feels like a first act, most definitely, a second act, and then the third act is so twisted on its head to be another film completely. And I think for some people, it's going to be very difficult to sort of comprehend that, not because they're stupid or not because they're thick or anything like that. I just think as an audience member, you are constructed with a narrative and then you get on board that narrative and all of a sudden, if it changes, it either ruins the whole film or it elevates it. And it's the same issue that I think M. Night Shyamalan Split has, is that you can watch that film as, as, a, as, a, as a, a man with a mental illness a psych- psychological illness, should I say, who is kidnapping three girls and then it turns into something else. And it, it's just an issue for an audience where it will lose certain people. And this doesn't go to that extent, but I think it will lose a significant people. And just touch on, on, a, on a few bits and bats um, that, that, that George mentioned about race. I f- I f- I'd also found that element to be rather interesting because it was almost utilized as this work um, or Dave Franco's, you know, once I mentioned, you know, the Me Too movement, and it felt sort of like underwhelming because there's definitely something here. Because ultimately, I, I think you might just point some out to me, George. It's the one thing that doesn't sort of go back into the film because ultimately, towards the end, it's difficult not to spoil it, but there's a certain character towards like the last few seconds of the film who is a person of color. So it contradicts the point of why that character you've just spoke about isn't allowed to, to, to sign um, off on this rental. So it was just interesting what that, 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 that element is really about. I mean, it's either a sort of an offhand uh, work take that sort of just felt like tokenism, or there's probably a deeper meaning there somewhere. But because we don't find out much about the film itself, I'm sort of leaning more for the former rather than the latter, if, if, that, if that makes sense. But the one thing I need to preface this with is that I'm not a big fan of Dave Franco. I'm not a big fan of James Franco. So when this was announced as Dave Franco's directorial debut, I, like many people, went into this thinking, fucking hell, here we go. It's going to be an egotistical James Franco-esque film where he's a lead, he's a writer, he's the director, actor, so on and so forth. And it's just sort of this egotistical pit of just despair. You know, if anyone's seen Zeroville or any sort of shite that James Franco has directed, it's just all the same trash. And to fair play to him, he's made different genre pieces, granted, fair play. But it's just it's nothing new. Whereas this, I went into it, obviously, you know, shoot me. I went in with it, sort of this preface of like, here we go, a Franco brother. <sighs> Let's just take it on the chin. Let's go. But I was really, relatively surprised by it. I, I just felt no ego in it. And I'm just, I'm, honestly, I, I think, and I think also, actually, what you mentioned, not to go on, I'll, I'll, I'll let you infer again, but um, the, the one thing I think is difficult with the horror, it's the easiest film to make a director's debut on because it's cheap. And I think that's what horror throughout the years has always been. It's a cheap thing. But now we're in a, we're in a well, regarding cinema in general, we're in this newfound wave of horror where it's, it is just simply not blood, guts and gore. It has to be elevated with, with sort of relevant themes. And I think it's a difficult sort of, well, Relic did it quite well with regarding dimension. And I think so did Hereditary in Midsummer with, with, with the guilt and depression and, 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 and stuff like that. I think those films are, are relatively well done regarding it. Here, there isn't that theme. 
but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. And I think that goes to show that perhaps this elevated horror is not going to be the be all end all within the genre. I just hope that people don't go into this thinking it's going to be something it's not. And I think what you, you, you a few people have mentioned about the, uh, I haven't seen the trailer, so it may, may indicate something else, but the, the, the posters most certainly does indicate a very different film stylistically and, and also metaphorically and few it's via its visual iconography to be something a little bit different. Yeah, the poster so, is completely misleading. Yeah. And, so anyone who's looking at it thinking, oh yeah, the poster looks quite good. It's, it's, it's like completely misleading. So it's don't not go even, that. Yeah, it's not even a misdirect either. It's not like something internal that goes somewhere else. It just, it just isn't, it just isn't a very good uh, visual description of what the film is. I mean, we talk about like, you know, never read a book by its cover. Uh, and this looks like something very, very different to what it actually is. And I think that's probably something that the studio or the distributor has seen and tried to sort of elevate it to a different degree. So, um, Jack, just going on some of your points you just made. Firstly, I think our expectations, we came in at different angles. Um, you mentioned just there about the poster and I have seen a trailer. So I actually combined the two, the poster and the trailer, the trailer, very much makes it feel like a horror film that you're about to watch. But the poster, as you guys have said, it makes it seem like there's some sort of mystery going on here. I guess I had high expectations putting the two together. Um, and I love those kind of um, those vehicles, those films where you don't know any more than the main character and you're being taken on a journey of you know, mystery and intrigue. And maybe there's some horror elements, maybe it's sci-fi, not too sure. I love those kind of films. Um, so I came at it with high expectation where I think, I think that you came at it as just, well, not necessarily just, but Dave Franco's first film is going to, it might not be great. You know, let's see what you can do. So um, I think that might explain a little bit why we have uh, different sort of opinions on some things. Um, I would like to say though, that uh, when it comes to horror, I totally agree with you. Everything that you've just said is, you make some really valid points. Um, I agree that the horror, um, where we are these days, it, it's exciting. Um, I love the new kind of horror films. I mean, you listed a few. I didn't like all of those that you listed, but I, I like the movement. I like seeing different. Um, uh, I just don't, I wouldn't like anyone to think that I'm somebody that just likes blood and guts. That's certainly not me. In fact, there's, a, there's plenty of horror films I've seen that are very, very bad just because it's violence. I'm not, I'm not keen on horror that is just violence. However, when you talk about Friday the 13th, this is a staple in the genre. You know, this is actually something that a lot of fans do love. I enjoy them, but more of a kind of, because it is a, um, a meta, uh, not a metaphor, sorry. Um, it's synonymous with the genre, you know, the image of the mask and the fact that it's a slasher. And really that was all I was making the comparison on because there've been the word slasher mentioned quite a few times um in in describing this film and i guess that was my retort is that if you are making a slasher or trying to implement ideas of slasher then you you are following a certain horror genre but um, make no mistake that's not my favorite genre in horror and there are plenty of um new subgenres coming out in horror um and i'm really excited for it because it's not just the same old stuff regurgitated. And if you saw this film as something new in that regards, and then fair play, you know, like you, you've enjoyed it for that reason. And that's what I look for in horror films. Um, for me, 
this didn't quite hit the mark. Not quite. It's still an enjoy. You know, it was a, a, a mediocre film in, in that regard from a first time director. So let's commend him for that. Um, but the the familiarity of this type of storyline is nothing new for me. I've seen a lot of films about home invasion, you know, and uh, a lot of films that follow exactly this storyline. The only difference really is that we really got time to get to know those characters. And I think that's what disappointed me is because the horror part was tacked on. And it wasn't actually so much so just the length of time that you saw the horror. It was that we got to know these characters and we didn't even feel their the loss of emotionally that we lost them you know we we got to know them and it built up the story um but we didn't even get that kind of payoff of oh my god they you know something's happened to them don't want to give too many spoilers away but i have to you know mention this you know it was just kind of done 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 you know, it was all just done and a lot of it was done in the dark you couldn't really even see what was going on which is one thing i would say in criticism to the directing possibly that some of the scenes were a bit too dark but um and that was my disappointment, not, not necessarily because we didn't see blood and guts, but it was more the emotional payoff. We didn't get it. Um, and for this genre, for him to explore the, the characters more, um, we didn't also get the emotion, the payoff when it came to the to concluding those storylines. So for me, we didn't get any payoff. That was the thing. It was no payoff in, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, I guess I was just hoping for more, and maybe my anticipation was too high for this film. Just to take that point, Ashley, and and uh, and to make it to a bigger argument, I think I'd like to get your opinion on this as well. Is that, and I don't want to shit on them because I have done it most of this podcast, and I have done it on previous podcasts. But I do have to come back to A twenty four. The problem that I think many people are going to have with this film is what's happened similar a few years ago to Trey Edward Schultz's It Comes at Night. It's marketed as one film, it's seen as one film, but in the actual contextual viewing of the film it's something completely different and i think that's the same issue a lot of people are going to find with the rental and i also think it's an it's a broader issue with horror now because we just spoke about it before i mean you know you you've got your staples of horror that can't be touched and the, even the, the remakes with the probably the same people uh, involved in reboots it doesn't just it doesn't capture that anymore so we're trying to make sort of independent um newfound features of horror that the, the original ip and i think it comes at night and you've got stuff like the the, the witch and you've got stuff like uh, goodnight mama and under the skin we just talked about jonathan glazer um, these are films that are, that are incredibly uh, diverse regarding uh, rotten tomato scores and audience scores i think this is going to be a very similar issue is that it's it's a horror that is it has something but it's just not easily easily describable and visually telling of what that is is if that makes any sense. It Comes at Night, The Witch, they all have it. They have something. More so than not, I think The Witch is a great example, but I think It Comes at Night perfectly sort of is, is using this analogy I'm going to make, is that you have a product that there is definitely something there for an audience, for scares, for, for regarding thrills and horror, there's definitely something there. But if you can't reveal it because it's a central aspect of that narrative, and if you do, then you ruin the film. So ultimately, they're having to create these films or the, these, well, they're trying to create advertising for these films. And by giving it sort of this second wind of, of hype, and, and, and I, want, I don't want to use the word misleading because I think that's, that's like a conscious decision. Whereas I think, I think IFC in particular have done a really good job with, the, with, the, with the, the poster. I think it looks absolutely spectacular. I love the blues. But I do understand from an audience point of view where it's, 
I'm going to use it. It's, it's quite misleading, although I don't like using that word. I think we're going to have this, we're having like this newfound issue in horror where if you can't market the film because you don't want to reveal a central, central arc and sort of the ideology of the film, then you have to sort of not subvert the expectations, but you have to then go on a different journey and a different arc of, well, this film's actually this, like look at the poster. And I think it's an issue that a lot of people had with a hereditary. And I think a lot of people had with Midsommar and Ari Aster is a great example of this, but it comes at night for me personifies the issue that you all have with that film with, with, um, with uh, the rental sorry. Whereas I think all of the films I've mentioned, and I haven't seen Goodnight Mama, but it follows, you know, The Witch Under the Skin, Goodnight Mama, and it, it comes at night, and obviously The Rental. I think we're going to see a massive issue between audience and, and critics. And perhaps that's what we're having an issue with here. Because I think, I, I, and I'm not, I, I look at like a very analytical point of view where I don't want to watch the same stuff all the time. And I think that's why I, I will probably go on onto one element. But I think you actually most definitely will be on the other hand of it. So it's just interesting to have your opinion on that, about how you think about um, sort of the issue of modern day horror, having issues selling itself because it gives away its main central um, topic. I certainly do not want to just see the same old stuff over and over again. There is plenty of new ideas that are being explored that I love to see. Um, but you're absolutely right, mate. There is, there's an issue when it comes, they just want to get... I feel like they want to get bums on seats, so they market it a certain way that they know will appear uh, will appeal to to a certain crowd. And depending on the film, if they don't know how to market it, they will go down the horror aspect, a horror um, avenue, and try to get it to be seem like a scare fest, you know. And then most people will happily take. I mean, something like Get Out, for instance, was um, surprise had some surprises. But it worked still, the marketing campaign worked because it did have scares, it did have um, elements of horror, but it, it just expanded on that once you're watching the film. But there are certain films that if they're just played straight as a horror, then actually what they do do sometimes is, is ruin the film. I've seen films, horror films where I watch the trailer and they do reveal some of the big scares and do reveal some. So, you know, when it's a straight horror, it's almost as if they're happy to do that, possibly. I mean, I try to stay away from trailers as much as possible, or I'll watch the first five, um, 30 seconds or something. I think, right, I want to see it, you know? But um, I did happen to see the whole of the rental trailer, and it definitely alluded to more horror. Um, so, yeah, I guess it is a difficult one to sell when, I mean, how would you necessarily try to sell it? I mean, going down the horror route is the way, isn't it? It is the way to get bums on seats when you've got um, this, you know, images of a masked man at times. You're going to use that in your trailer. Um, but if it has got an extra art element to it, then that will only be revealed once you're watching the film and might disappoint people. But I still make the point that I don't believe that this film has that. It doesn't have that extra element that some films I keep draw, coming to get out. It's a good example. You know, um, you know they have, they do explore the race um, uh, issue and they explore many uh, tropes within the genre. And it really is a, a, a mystery. You know, it has a, um, a, well, it has a lot about it, for example, that is, is good. Um, and I think most people would agree with that as, as a great film. 
But when it comes to this film, I have seen films like it. I don't want to, I say, I don't want to trash it. I'm not trying to trash this film. It's still enjoyable and it will find its audience. But I just feel like I've seen it before. I really do feel like I've, I've, I've said this already, so I'm not going to go down there again. But um, I do feel like I've seen this type of film before. So I actually would say that regarding the whole exploration of race in this film, it kind of plays off as one of those things where it's like, oh, look, we mentioned race once. Now that's the full exploration of race. We're a deep film because we've mentioned it before. And that compared to the rest of the film in terms of like uh, De Franco's directorial talent, it is a little bit disappointing because that's something that a lot of first time directors do try to do. Just stick in a bunch of themes there, but just mention them and never touch on them again. So yeah, the issue where the woman with the Pakistani heritage doesn't get the rental, but then the white man does like, okay, that happens. And then it's really never mentioned again. It's used to kind of give some suspense to one of the characters regarding what they're doing, but then that ultimately fizzles out and is never shown again. Now I do feel that I watched this film without watching any of the trailers. And for the first, like I said, maybe two thirds of it, I was wondering where it was going. Okay, it's a relationship drama, but I the poster did show that it was gonna be sort of horror-ish, but it ultimately didn't come in into the third act. That being said, it did remind me of kind of like in terms of Parasite where like it, it's a film with two different genres and there's a clear split when it kind of switches over. And after that, I know Parasite was a bigger success than expected, especially with general audiences, that a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily go explore those films watched it because of how the, the praise it was getting. And I do feel that now audiences, especially if this film gets a lot of press, sorry, if this film gets a lot of praise, I feel like audiences will slowly become more conditioned to being shown one genre in the promotional materials and then maybe expecting another genre to pop up somewhere else. And actually, I'd say that would be a welcome surprise in the film. So I actually appreciated that. And it's possible that the audience scores might not be as negative as you'd expect. For a reference point, it's currently about 70% uh, with critics on Rotten Tomatoes. And I would imagine that the audience score would be about the same as that, to be honest. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just to touch on something else as well. I mean, we've alluded to the comments about race, but Franco also alludes to the fact of like this digital age where, you know, and privacy where you can never sort of, you know, live it, live peacefully in this world without like this digital um, invas- invasion within the household. I think that's an interesting element, which is like sort of like this undercurrent. It's never like an actual point within the film. It's never like, oh, you know, are we actually discussing this or not? I think it's, it's a good execu- ex- excuse to use it within the uh, tropes of horror but again the 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 the, uh, the race thing to me i think it, it i just it, i i, I find it comes across to me like tokenism it feels like there was an opportunity to say it let's say it and i would much prefer them to be a larger conversation there but let, again we watch the whole film the entirety and in the context it just feels slightly out of place to me it feels like it's a big big conversation to have and it's just sort of like oh okay like it's just interesting if we if we'd have got then again suppose if we've got a reveal at the end that this this so-called villain is this like racist it just goes into sort of like well we've seen this done is that not more conventional so is it just, is it the fact that he's 
whatever Dave Franco does with this, that it's, it's going to be an issue where it's going to be conventional no matter what. So is it best bet just to talk about it, cut away? And then I think it's a theme that probably does start throughout the whole, the whole film where there is something, we, he discusses it or he, t- he touches on it and then he cuts away. So I, I don't know how anyone else feels like that, but for me, I just feel like, I think he was doomed if he did and doomed if he, if he didn't in that regard. Well, I would just say that I think the film was made a while back, wasn't it? So maybe that's, I mean, I don't know when it was um, due for release, but maybe because it touches upon something that is a bit more topical at the moment. I know it's always topical, but certainly because of recent headlines, I mean, um, maybe they thought that this was a good time to release. Radioactive tells a story of Nobel Prize winner Marie Curie and her extraordinary scientific discoveries. You've been frowning at that all week. And observing. What you're looking for? I find it easier to observe when I'm not talking. I measure uranium and I discover less radiations than I do in its ore. The ore is more powerful than the element. Exactly. And I can't there must be some work. anomaly in the results. I've run the same test six times. I get identical results. My instinct is that there is another element that's skewing the results. You think you've found an undiscovered element? If you're laughing at me, then I'm... No, I'm not laughing at you. That's exciting. Your measuring equipment's useless. It's worked perfectly fine for me if so far. If we're going to get the figures you need, we need something that's capable of extreme precision. There is no we. You need something that's capable of measuring microscopic aspects of No, energy. please. Yes. No, yes. no, no. I have an idea. Follow me. Through the prism of her marriage to husband Pierre and the seismic and transformative effects their discovery of radium had on the 20th century. George, let's start with you. Just about everyone here had an idea of what radioactive might be and suffice to say it is exactly what we all thought it might be it is a by the numbers i mean we were just saying that rental was by the numbers frankly the rental looks like the most experimental film ever made in comparison to a radioactive so as as you mentioned we get like a, a hagiography of marie curie and so it's, it's my main problem with it is it's written by jack thorne who I don't know how well known he is in America, but in, in Britain he's got quite a quite the resume. So he's he's collaborated with Shane Meadows on uh, not only the Virtues, but he also co-wrote uh, This Is England '86 and '88, I believe, maybe even '90, uh, the last one as well. So he's got TV pedigree. He's won a BAFTA for Best Drama as well for his writing. He wrote the stage play for the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And now he's branching over towards films. So he, he co-wrote The Aeronauts last year, which was also uh, an Amazon... I don't know if it was Amazon original, but it was an Amazon release. And it's the, it's the same with this. So Radioactive's are an Amazon release as well. And there, there are problems with his, screen, his, his screenwriting. The, the dialogue in this is painfully on the nose. So... For me, I was never into science as a kid, particularly. It never really interested me. But the exposition dumps in this film are unbearable. Like, it genuinely treats science like we need to be treated as toddlers to understand this. So, there's even so, not only 
then they need to explain everything. There are visuals to accompany that on the screen of certain elements and how they react. Because the you know, if the dialogue wasn't clear enough, these visuals will ram home the point. And it reduces the scientists at hand. So uh, Marie Curie played by Rosamund Pike and her husband played by Sam Riley. So they're they're talking as if they themselves have like just kind of walked into science so they're explaining everything out in like rudimentary terms so you you have a major problem already whereas you're watching these people talk about it but they don't actually behave like scientists and they really do look like people who've just learned science and then articulating that out into like the ether where they're telling us absolutely everything there's also massive structural problems with this there's these really weird like flash forwards to the legacy of um curie's discoveries so there's like a really ill-advised one with um hiroshima in particular and it i, I don't know why they do it but it's, it's just so weird it it looks ugly as well these these flash forwards and it can it zooms in on a, a japanese man's face and you see the, the the kind of big mushroom thing in a reflection through his glasses you know, well, this is tonally at odds with everything that's come before it. I think visually it's it's okay. I think there's some decent lights in here and the fact that I think you do get that wonder where they discover the first element. I think it's radium, I believe. And it's kind of glowing through this tube. And I mean, it's pretty simplistic stuff. Kind of having a nice fluorescent green just like popping up off the screen, I do think is is nice. And it does actually capture that like moment of scientific discovery but then you just get and then as soon as they do that the characters say something again and you're just immediately taken out of it and i think by the point towards the end where it's less about the the science and more about maria herself i was completely checked out that i was gone by that point it it didn't interest me in the slightest there's these they're trying to do the whole thing about oh it's it's like a woman's um space in a man's world that isn't done convincingly but even other films are on the basis of sex last year did that much better i thought i think the acting is they're doing the best they can with this script but i don't think anyone could say that either rosamund pike or sam riley are, are particularly good in this and um anna taylor anna taylor joy later on in the film as well who i didn't even know was in this beforehand so when she pops up it was a bit of a surprise but yeah, I mean, I'll pass it to everyone else. But my main issue with this is, like, I can tolerate that they have to simplify stuff down. But this was like primary school simplification, where it was it genuinely, I thought it was treating us as as idiots, basically. For the most part, George, I, I, I'm I'm on the same page as you. I think there are, there's there's issues that you have, which I think I don't I don't despair as much i just think they're not done to the degree that they could have been i think just to touch on on, on the, the the flash forwards i think that's a really interesting dynamic to have with this film to see a person's legacy and then intercut that in an edit with 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 reactionary tales of what that person's done and the impact throughout the world i think that's very very interesting to have and i think it's it's a biopic aspect that it's not very done very often and if it's not done very well and i think he is the very similar case where it's 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 not done very often and it's not done very well and i think 
it's most definitely an aspect this film has it in, in, in it uh, to, to, to it's it's an aspect that's done here not very well whatsoever and i think it's the, one of the main gripes i have because there's so much throughout this film and the film in general there's so much to sort of take hold of and and, and want to like i'm a big fan of sam Ryler. i like his work with ben wheatley but i like him just as an actor i think he's a, a magnificent in control and i think rosamund pike said in this resurgence it's gone girl i mean she's not the bond girl anymore she she's this actress who can take anything and and, and craft a sort of meticulous performance and i think they do relatively good jobs here respectively however together they have zero chemistry and and, it, and it's draining they, they just there's no passion or emotional pull whatsoever and for a film that the main bulk explores their relationship and their dynamic which then caveats to sort of you know a woman living a man's world and 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 the misogynistic um, entanglement of, of, of science but again together they're horrible they have no chemistry it's flat there's no passion and I like again for the emotional part of the film which is a bulk of it I'm just not there with it I don't believe it and there's a sort of an incident that happens with Sam Riley's character which is meant to be this horrible incident where, where you're then transfixed to, to understand her pain but it's executed and edited in a manner that looks like it's something from the fast show it's like comical and it, it shouldn't be. And I think that's one of the ugliest things I've seen in film in recent years. I, I, it's yeah, horrendous. To, to, to mention, like, I do quite like the aesthetic to a certain degree. I think it's, it looks very gritty. And um, I, I like how it showcases that, but it's not done effectively enough. It has this, like, existential outlook paired with, like, quite an engaging production design. As you mentioned, there's this green, green um, uh, radiating radium, which is ironic. But um, it's, it's sort of an element that's used throughout these, like, dream sequences, the existential crisis that Rosamund Pike's character have. And it's the only moments where I was, I was, it was engulfed by, wow, this is visually, this is, this is quite engaging, but it's, it's an attribute that's worn out before the end. It's always, always relayed on. And it, it's like, they knew that was visually quite engaging to see, but it was just horribly executed to the point where it was just redundant by the end of it, because it was just boring. I've seen it once. Let's move on. Um, like, like, <sighs> It's just a film that I generally wanted to like. I, I like, like I said, I like the actors. Um, I, I quite like their director's previous work. Um, and believe it or not, this is based on a graphic novel, which I was, I was like, bizarre. I was like, I, 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 if that's the sort of visual approach you've gone for, it's not very executed very well. Then again, I, I think the, the non-linear approach for narrative is horrific. It's so conventional and done to death. We start out with the character in an old age and then something happens and then we go back to, to, to this progressive sort of um, narrative where we have to push forward to meet that point. I just saw so lackluster and boring. Like it, it's a quintessential biopic and the aeronauts is an interesting element. These films feel like they could be shot back to back almost. They feel so similar in execution, but there's two different aesthetics, two different directors, personalities, but it is a screenwriting issue. It's just so like the construct of the, 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 the screenwriting is so criminally straightforward there's no room for maneuver and before long the, the film falls into this melodrama and you mentioned Anna Taylor Joy's character it just it goes on and on and on and before long it, 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 it loses its grasp on following Marie Cura and it follows its grasp on the radium storyline and the pacing is far too quick it wants to constantly move on without giving the audience a chance to breathe and be intoxicated with this plot because it's quite fascinating it's interesting to see how you have someone who's created something that's that's going to change the world forever 
but you don't know anything about that character. You never find anything about that character. It's just, you're just left pondering everything. Before we sort of get to a point, we move on. When we get to a point, we move on. And it just, it, it, it's, it's a repeat process where, unfortunately for an audience member, again, with all the other elements, it becomes tiresome. And the, the character acts are ineffective and the audience are just not immersed. I mean, it feels like a National Geographic production, you know, with the Einstein and Picasso, with Jeffrey Rush and uh, Antonio Banderas. G- genius. Yeah, genius, sorry. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, and it arguably ought to be, because regarding its theme, themes and approaches, this might have preferably been, been, been executed in a six-hour TV show. I think you've got a lot more depth there. You've got a lot more maneuver because here I'm left with not knowing anything about the science. I'm left not knowing about the characters and I'm sort of left with this sour taste of Sam Riley putting a poor job in Rosamund Pike, putting a poor job in and the director, which I'm quite fond of and I can't pronounce her name because I'll just butcher it. has just sort of left me again in a sour taste. So overall, I don't hate the film. I'm just severely underwhelmed by it. And out of anything, that's probably the worst you can come away from anything just being severely underwhelmed by a product that just didn't do anything. About the fact that it was filmed to look like a graphic novel, that might be because the director, Marjane Satrapi, she actually got her start with Persepolis because she actually wrote that as an autobiographical, autobiographical graphic novel. And then I believe she went on to direct the film and then that's how she kind of got into the industry. And I do have to say that while it does kind of follow that generic biopic structure, uh, this might also be partially because I am a huge fan of the genius show and I, I really like science in terms of like looking into the lives of scientists. I found it to be, if you're a science fan, if you are looking to kind of learn about Marie Curie as a person and what she's done and the impact that her discoveries have had on the world, it's definitely a good watch because apart from like the production design, and in my opinion, the lighting as well. The lighting is incredible in this film. Um, sh- there are quite a few sequences in between kind of the generic biopic parts that do stand out and like that you can see that uh, Marjane Satrapi is a di- directorial talent. Uh, for instance, the scene where they're kind of testing out a couple of nuclear stuff, not the Hiroshima scene, the part where they're kind of in Nevada going through the bunker. Uh, that was a quick moment, but I thought it was executed very well. Same with the uh, penultimate sequence, not to spoil anything, but when she's kind of going through all the rooms, I found that to be quite impactful as well. So while I do get why some people could call it mediocre, I really don't see how it could get any reaction that would be worse than mediocre. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of uh, technical aspects to be appreciated about the film. You know, I think it was well filmed. I think the cinematography was good. I like the the color and filter, but it it really does feel like the spark notes to Marie Curie's life. You know, I don't feel like it really got in depth. I think the only thing I didn't know about her before the film was um, the whole sex scandal. Um, You know, I, I, uh, I think just the, um, the film, it is, it is very paint my numbers. I think that was the hardest 
hardest thing to overcome for me. Uh, I I broke out laughing when the first kiss between Marie and Pierre. There's a big pillar of fire behind them, and it's like, oh, their their romance is on fire. It's chemistry. Don't don't you get it? Do you get it, audience? Yeah, it just I I couldn't stop laughing at that. It was so so on the nose. Um, and you know, my very, my very cynical brain watched those scenes like the Hiroshima scene, the atomic bomb testing, the Chernobyl disaster, and kind of went, "Oh, these are for the trailers to get bums in seats." You know, um, I think they were the the best part of the film, but I do think they kind of distracted from the overall message. What I found with the the flash forward sequences was I felt it was very condescending. I think this film really puts Marie Curie on trial. I think um, it kind of argues that her um, achievements in the field of science were more detrimental than helpful. You have one scene of chemotherapy against four scenes of some of the worst disasters in human history. Uh, not to mention, during the atomic bomb sequence, there's this interesting visual of people paying for front row seats to see the atomic bomb tested. And all I could think was the, the Michael Bay soundbite of him talking about pain again, going, oh, what a bunch of dopes. It's, it feels um, very condescending to just like, to um, how did people not know this about radioactivity? I think, <laughs> I think the director um, had his own kind of preconceptions of like how people just couldn't um, see the dangers of this glowing, green, unstable um, material. You know, I, I don't think that was uh, very well conveyed, just, um, you know, how, how her work did, you know, change lives um and also i do want to touch on um my favorite aspect of the film by far has to be the score i really enjoy the score for this one the very ethereal uh sometimes minimalist you know mostly uh pianos or stringed instruments i thought that was very well done i think it helped a lot with the atmosphere um, I did like the dream sequence when there's these heavy drums and just feeling, um, you know, my, my heart pounding during this whole sequence of Marie Curie's life catching up to her. I think that's probably the strongest foundation. I think that the um, any sort of atmospheric device of the film really worked, but it only elevates this very paint by numbers biopic script only so much. And that's the biggest disappointment, um, in my opinion. Well, you guys have really gone in on this film. And uh, I would agree with most of you on most of your points, except for maybe the acting. I actually really enjoyed the acting in this film. I thought that for the type of film it is, um, you know, this is the kind of film that really isn't necessarily... I know we all enjoy film and we try to explore all different genres and stuff, but it may not be for us um i don't mean the subject matter i mean more the the narrative pacing and whatnot it's a it's a feel-good biopic um hitting the bullet points of each of the story um of, of this lady's life um i didn't know too much about her actually so I, I actually got a little bit from this film um but i do understand everything that you guys have said on what you didn't like and what was a bit sickly and overdone etc or what was, wasn't needed to be put in, really. 
Um, but when it comes to the acting, I thought um, she did a great job, Rosamund Pike. I do like her as an actress and um, everything I've seen her in, which isn't loads, but whenever I do see her, I'm quite impressed with her. But again, I don't really have anything to go, I don't really know what um, Marie Curie was like as a woman. So I don't know how well she's de depicted this lady. Um, but certainly she gave a good characterization to the screen. Um, and I also thought Sam Riley did well. I thought he was really good. I believed in them as individuals. Maybe I, I do agree with um, Jack with regards to their chemistry. <laughs> you know, their chemistry wasn't um, necessarily the best as such, but um, as individuals um, furthering the, the story um, and the kind of story that is being told for the type of audience that are necessarily wanting to watch this film, I felt that they will enjoy watching these two. Um, but on another point is that really biopics, I have an issue with biopics to a degree. Um, and that's really, that is that unless I'm really invested in the storyline or that person in particular, then I, I'm always dubious about how much is artistic license and how much is the actual, th I mean, there's no denying the major points of what happened uh, in this woman's life um, and the story of, um, of um, radium, the discovery of radium. But um, I do sometimes, I, or I have sometimes in the past, gone into films that I, I have been very interested in, that's a biopic or a story that's being told that is based on truth. And when you look into it a bit greater, you see that there isn't a whole lot of truth. Um, maybe some elements, some of the bigger elements are, and then you find out, well, actually this part wasn't real. This was done for the film, you know, to, to, because people want to see a film. They want to see um, people succeed. They want to see um, a story. And just like anyone who wants to watch a superhero film, they expect a certain amount of, um, of, of, of what they come to see. So I, I do think, I do worry sometimes with biopics in that regard. Um, unless I've got the time or the inclination, I won't necessarily look into them a great deal. So with this one, for example, um, science has never been my strong point at school or anything. And um, it's of interest. I was interested in watching it. Um, but I agree with you guys. It did feel uh, like a bit of a slog after a while. Um, and it's certainly, I think, uh, I think it was one hour, 40 odd minutes. And it felt like you know, 40 minutes too long in a way. Um, um, but I did, get, I did get some enjoyment from watching the actors, I would say, the most over the, the story um, and certainly the way it propelled forward very quickly. But I think there will be other people out there that do enjoy this film a lot. Um, I guess it just depends on um, the type of what you, what you want from film, you know. I just find this so... It's one of those films, right, where we see it every year now to the point where to me, this is only made with the idea of to make a mediocre average film. There's so much you could have done with this story. I don't want to say you. I mean, <laughs> I mean anyone could have done something with the story and just elevated it to a different degree. But because it's so rudimentary and because it's so conventional, I'm more. I'm not. I'm not. I'm left not hating the film. And I think that for the most part, everything's done to a mediocre and to a decent degree. Like I said about the performances, 
separately, I think they're relatively relatively decent. I think you can't really knock Rosamund Pike. She's a phenomenal actress, and so is Sam Riley. Sam Riley is he's good in anything. He can play a, a cowboy box, and he probably gets something out of it. But for me personally, if nobody behind the camera and behind and, and who's writing that script is going to make something not only eye catching but engaging to a degree where I'm transfixed. I don't really see the point of making it because this is a character, an influential character in, in recent history and probably from the dawn of man who has made, uh, who has made uh, both of the characters together, should I say, who have made an influence that has changed this world for good or for bad, they have changed this world. And we're going through an era now where we're, we're beginning to look at influential and, and, and empowering characters of women like um, Marie Curie. I think this does a disservice to that to, to that woman. I really do. I I'm left here not wanting to go and, and find anything out because I was so I was so sort of drained by this whole experience, and I didn't find anything interesting. It just doesn't elevate the material for me to then go and find something on Wikipedia or go and and, and read one of her books or go and go and read the the science behind this. And and overall, again, if if I'm not transfixed and if I'm not and this is just for me personally, it'd be interesting to find everyone else's take, but it's because it's so mundane. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm over this already. And it's such a disservice to that character and that person in real life. I'm more annoyed at the fact that it was done to this degree rather than it could have been something so much more special. Yeah. Just to agree with you. Um, I, I feel that it could have been a, a lot um better in regards to the filmmaking side i think it was maybe a chance for the the name to shine and and the actress to do the do the film justice i don't know who the director was um you know i know that there are some directors that they are they come in to do a job don't they they're not necessarily there to stamp their name all over the film as such and um yeah, sorry, I haven't taken the time to look to see who the director was. That's my bad. Um, but, you know, maybe it is more about the name. Um, maybe they felt that this was enough. And I, I would say that, you know, seeing as I'm someone who didn't know a lot about it and have got some information uh, and uh, from it, then um, I I would say that it was, was just enough, maybe, <laughs> you know, uh, they could they have done more definitely i mean there have been biopics in the past that you know they draw your attention in like the best films you know whether it's real life or not you know you're drawn in and you're engaged and you want to find out more and that happens you know i know when i've loved a film because i can't stop thinking about it talking about it or wanting to uh, delve in deeper whether it be true or, or, or fiction um but yeah this was just um this was just enough to get some information and i i mean i always enjoy watching actresses and actors and seeing them perform so if i've enjoyed a performance but this was all see this was all really towards the beginning of the film i felt all this you know when i was first watching it and the first hour maybe um and that's why i say that it it felt a little bit long even though it wasn't that long i guess because i i um, I think someone else said, sorry, I can't remember who that they checked out. I guess in a way I, I had done too, which is a bit criminal for a film, isn't it? Oh, I was just going to ask, um, there's been quite a recent trend. I mean, I think very recent actually of specifically um, science biopics. So we were discussing on the group chat earlier, the amount that have come out in like the last 
six years, kind of starting with like imitation game and, and theory of everything. And I, I think I've seen people refer to radioactive as standard Oscar bait. I think that that's, um, that take on it is actually massively wrong. I cannot see how the filmmakers who have, and the, the writers especially, have made this thinking we're, we're going for a lot, even, even with a year such as this, like with with less films out, that they're going for Oscar glory. Like if you look at Theory of Everything, that arguably is the um the most successful and imitation game as well. I think that one screenplay, back then. but I think Theory and Theory Theory of Everything builds on especially those two central characters. And a lot of people actually took issue with the fact that it didn't do anything regarding the Sam Hawkins kind of professional um exploits and that was solely devoted to his personal life which is why i think it was actually the best of the crop of these sort of science ones that have come out so i was guess what i'm trying to ask is why why do you think they are persistent with these films because I, I think we've gone way past the point now whereas these are in contention for for the oscars i i, I mean how old i think imitation goes about six years old I think that's actually like quite a long time ago in like Oscar cycles. So, why why do you think they're continuing with these with these like middle of the road biopics? I think you've hit the nail on the head there with the word Oscars. It's all it is. It's Oscar bit. The Academy likes to reflect real people with their awards. You look throughout the, the history of the Academy, biopics generally get the the strongest suit because it's reflecting not only the person the ideology and the, the academy always wants to look good it always wants wants to represent um you know positivity even though it, it has it has absolutely no desire to to follow up on that all you've got to see is you know we're looking at the academy now is we're looking at minorities being showcased and we're looking at women uh, and then fucking what 10 years ago or 20 years ago they give roman Polanski an oscar they're full of shit at the end of the day but the thing about a biopic is that not only can you get the screenwriting for adaption, you can also get the best actor, best actress, and you can also get best director and best picture. It's one of those films, genres, which you can touch on every single awards category. And that's primarily why they want to do this, because you can make them fairly cheaply. You can get a method actor in who probably wasn't, wouldn't take a superstar um, uh, degree of money to, to, to sort of entice to be that character. Edgar Edmund, prime example. That's why you don't have Christine Bale and David Fincher make Steve Jobs. You have Danny Boyle and Michael Fassbender. It's a good cheap alternate. It really is because you can get anyone to do it. You really can. We don't make biopics now because you look like that person. They just don't do it. I mean, you don't get My Left Foot by Daniel, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis anymore. I think the closest we've got to that is Eddie Redmayne, Stephen Hawking. And I think it's almost an impersonation. You just, you're doing a replication. You have to have some form of it. But going back to the point, it's four categories. You get nominated. You make a shit ton of money. You get it on the posters. You make the production company happy. I think biopics are a really good idea for that. Do you think they ever actually expected it with this, though? Like, I mean, I think the Amazon thing's Amazon. interesting. Should we say Amazon? Yeah, yeah, because like, because me and Diego had this conversation. It's not actually an Amazon original because it showcased before the, the 16th and 23rd of March, and then it went to iTunes. So Amazon have picked it up, I believe, in the US. I'm not too sure about the UK because I believe you can actually get it on iTunes, which if it was Amazon original, that wouldn't be the case. And I think the same thing is what happened with 7500 is where they can just have it as a regional thing. So in the UK, we may get production. Yeah. Yeah. It's distribution. It's distribution. Yeah, something like Manchester by the sea. Like that was, um, that's production. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like Amazon Studios, don't they? Yeah. As well, they've got that title instead of Amazon Original. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a yeah. Actually, that's a big difference. It's a good point because this isn't Amazon Original. It's a this is an Amazon Studio production. It's Amazon Original. But I think this is a great example of what we see on Netflix every fucking week now. Is that something drops like Last Days of American Crime, and it's just a it's a film that Sony doesn't want to release. Universal doesn't. They just they just fucking throw it to Netflix. I think Radioactive is that caliber of film. And, and, and I'm not, sorry, I'll repeat that. I don't think it's a caliber of film, but that's the type of film that's been thrown here to the dogs. It's just been given to Amazon, probably been sold by, to, to them as, a, as maybe, you know, it's a, well, it fits the aeronauts thing and we did fairly well with that. Or it's the theory of everything we did, we, you know, Universal did fairly well with that. And I think it's just been thrown to the dogs here, to Amazon. Amazon have just released it. Regarding its, its audience score, I can't see it doing very, relatively well. So again, like you said, George, was it made with the sort of pretense of, well, perhaps here we may get an Oscar nomination. So to that degree, watching the film, it's quite clear to me that was the approach. However, the end result is far from it. Let's conclude with Werner Herzog's Family Romance, LLC. Love is a business at Family Romance, a company that rents human standings for any occasion. Founder Yuichi Ishii helps make his client's dreams come true. But when the mother of a 12-year-old Mahiro hires Ishii to impersonate her missing father, the line between acting and reality threatens to blur. Nick, let's start with you. I am very enthusiastic to talk about uh, Family Romance, LLC. Um, I really enjoyed the film. Um, I think that is in part because I um, enjoyed as a Werner Herzog film rather than just a film in general. Um, I am a big fan of Werner Herzog's um, documentaries. Uh, Into the Inferno is one of my favorite documentaries. Grizzly Man is my favorite documentary. Um, I love his doctrine of ecstatic truth and how um, it's impossible to capture truth with the camera, that it's sort of what you believe internally because sometimes the facts are too much to, to handle. And I think here it definitely follows in that pattern with its very um, documentary style um, production. Um, the cinematography is very amateurish, it's very hand, handheld digital camera. Um, and all the performances are done by um, non-actors. You know, Yuichi Ishii actually works for a company like this. You know, Family Romance is an actual company. So it's definitely a film that plays along um, the blur between reality and fiction. And that is why I find it so fascinating and so rewarding. Um, I do admit it does take the film a while to get moving, you know, in its eight, like 90 minute runtime, it does um, move very slowly for one third of that. But I think once it does get going, once you start to, um, understand the ideas Werner Hogzov is playing with, um, it gets uh, very, very interesting. Um, I think that there, there's a lot of, uh, I want to call it home movie footage. I feel like he spends a lot of the time using the camera to explore Japan. And um, what I find it does, it's kind of builds the world. It's world building as a fictional film. And I think the world he creates is one where the lines between what is reality and what is fictionalized is, re is really blurring. You know, there is a hotel with nothing but uh, robotic workers, you know, that's, that seems um, 
absolutely insane to someone like me who's, who's used to going to a hotel and, you know, there's a human being at the desk, you know, where we are going into a, you know, new time period where, you know, you can be whoever you want on the internet. You know, she shows her Instagram and her photography and drawings. Um, you know, it's, it's just that we do spend a lot of time, you know, creating personas. And I think that's what this family romance really takes to a complete extreme where your job is, is being a persona, you know, Yuichi takes so many jobs as, you know, someone to play a role in these people's lives when, you know, there, there is no one else to play it, you know, and he, he questions the morality of, of his business, you know, he, you know, starts to have nightmares about you know performances turning into giant bloody um fights and you know he he does come to a point where his his relationship with uh Mahiro is is too real for him to handle anymore so i i think it it is very interesting in a very um thematic way you know just our you know complete change of cultural consciousness on you know what is reality and you know what a what a person is and what they can be in our you know relationship to each other you know and i i think werner really hit it out of the park with this one after you know his his great efforts in grizzly man and into the inferno i think this is this is um kind of a thematic trilogy that now has has gone all the way you know so i'm i'm interested to see what you guys think you know well, I've I, I pissed off horror fans today. I pissed off A24 fans. So I'm going to go for the trifecta and piss off Herzog fans. So this is Herzog's fe- narrative feature in four years since, um, I believe it's Salt and Fire with Michael um, Shannon. So we're talking about event films with Jonathan Glazer, Strasbourg, uh, 1518. This to me is another author who has an event film. Everything that Herzog makes, I'm there because it's just so creatively sort of influential on every level. Just hearing the man speak about cinema, I mean, I mean, his analogy of going out and getting a camera is steal it if you have to. I, I just love the whole personification of that man. And then it comes to family romance. And in one in one sentence, I can sum it up: it's, it's an interesting premise, lacking emotional conviction. And that is the sentiment I have throughout the whole film. And I think one of the biggest problems, I think Eunuch pointed out, I think from what I got from you, I think you, you sort of enjoyed the approach. I think the biggest problem with this film is that the documentary approach gets in the way. And it, it, the movement of the camera is always awkward and becomes jarring to me all the time where we're, 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 we're sort of looking at these two characters having this really interesting emotional bonding. And because for the first sort of 15 minutes, you don't really know what's happening. It's only revealed after the fact. Um, that it's revealed that obviously this is a stand-in father, which I found a fascinating notion to behold, and I'll get onto that a little later. But I thought that that scene was was really sort of emotionally engaging because I thought it was beautifully done. And then Herzog just stands there and just physically moves the camera forward, and it just felt so amateurish. But it came across like it's that documentary aesthetic and approach is getting confused with narrative here. And I think both of them do not coincide at all very well. You can't make a documentary and you can't make a narrative in the same approach. And if you can, it'll be a rare phenomenon, I find. And I think for an audience, it's difficult. That being said, I, again, it's interesting premise. The narrative to me, I find fascinating. 
I love that culture, the cultural aspect of it. it's just not Western at all. It's such an Eastern uh, ideal. And for an audience member, going back to Radioactive, I want to be interested, regardless if I don't, when Harry met Sally, when, um, when uh, sorry, I'll go back again. If a film like Radioactive, we've just mentioned beforehand, if it's not well done, but it still engages me and it, it creates this sort of idea where I want to find more about the ideology, I want to find more about reading about the topic in hand, the science, etc., so on and so forth. Here is a good example of it working where I didn't find a much emotional conviction here because obviously I don't like the camera work, as I've just mentioned, but I find that the actual plot itself this subplot is so fascinating to me to behold and i and again i like this western eastern ideal where the, the where we're then put forward to look at someone else's culture and, and and it's not sort of inspect it but it's it's investigate it and i think it's good to, to to look at that sort of aspect and i think herzog i mean his last last film a few years ago which i think is just a mouthpiece for which is gorbachev which um, I, I had the pleasure of seeing at a film festival it's, it's an interesting when Herschel gets hold of an idea because the man does not let it go. He just doesn't let it go. And I, I like that because he engulfs everything about the audience. And, I, and through that, I get the passion. And here is no different. I, I, part Gorbachev's issues. This is incredibly interesting to behold. But again, I thought that the, 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 it had a lacking emotional conviction. There's interesting elements Herschel brings up always the existential crisis person. He talks about AI, he talks about that human instinct and how, how contact and touch um, elevates a person's uh, life and how we all need to be connected in one way. And he, he sort of compares that to technology. And when, when you said mentioned Nick, when he goes to the hotel, that seemed for, for, for a lot of people, I think me included for somewhat of the, the runtime, felt slightly um, redundant and it didn't need to be mentioned. But then it came to me that when... when when the character looks at the the pretend fish, it's that technology will take over every small decision in our lives, even the most mundane and 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 you know what we see as as life itself. These small instances of where life just moves on, the AI will recreate that. So I just found that a really interesting element to have, but it's like a side approach, really. Which again, again, it, 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 these elements don't really mesh very well, but I appreciate the 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 intent behind it, and I think. The film overall has got that really good Herzog wit. Like at the beginning, when this this young girl is walking back and forth on this bridge because she's so shy of meeting what, what what we believe at the time to be her missing father, is that when the missing father actually comes up to her and she says, oh, I knew it was you when I first saw you, even though the characters walked back and forth five or six times. And, and obviously, I like that sort of small, subtle Herzog wit. And there's a lot to like here. There's a lot of thematic weight here. But again, the emotional conviction, I don't know how it's approached. I don't know, sorry, I don't know if it's the approach itself, this documentary aesthetic, but I felt it was slightly hollow for me. I was there, I was involved. I, I was very engaged with, with, with this sort of aspect of uh, Eastern culture, especially the Japanese culture. Um, and, 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 and it goes into sort of grave detail about that, about loneliness. And I think it, it, it's only sort of a, um, a building block to look at thematic way. And to that, I think it's, it's a relatively decent film. But for a Herzog fan, for me, I was left slightly underwhelmed because like I said, it's, I want to be, I, when, a, when a Werner Herzog film approaches, I want it to just engulf me. And for this, unfortunately, I was on the other side of that. Yes, this is probably a good time for me to come in because I think, I agree with both of you. So 
regarding the emotional weight, <clears throat> a couple of weeks back we talked about um, The Truth, with uh, Karida's uh, latest film. And parts of this actually really reminded me of not so much The Truth, but Karida's other films in the way that it explores how families operate. And obviously this is taking a much different approach in the fact that they're not actually a family and that it is essentially made up. But he manages to, which it's not a spoiler, but he does manage to keep up this lie, essentially. And then as it gradually wears on, they start to feel like a family. So they're making um, essentially function out of something dysfunctional. So it reminded me of particularly still walking in that in that regard. I do agree with Jack that I don't think the the format works the entire time. I think there's points where it does work, especially in the opening scene where the, where they're talking underneath the cherry blossoms. I think the intimacy of that actually really works. But there's there are points where the the camera movements are too jarring and it is too amateurish. And I think I think the film I think you could have conveyed the themes in the film about the blurring between reality and the kind of plot of the film. I think you could do that without having a documentary film. I think you I think Herzog I mean I'm not massively familiar with his work. I know he's in his later period he's dabbled with documentaries a lot more. But I think he could have done that without necessarily doing them the like American animals route on American animals they interviewed the um the people in the crime that that doesn't happen, but this blending of of forms, I don't think it, I don't think it falls flat on its face, but I don't think it's a roaring success either. But I think the point that both of you have mentioned, the scene in which we see the robotic um, fish, Jack said it's like a side thing. I actually think that that is um, a sh- it initiates a shift in the film where it does gradually because I was waiting. Because inherently, what the lead character is doing, it's a bit weird. Like, there's no getting away from it. And I think as soon as that point happens where he sees the fish, I think the film does actually interrogate the lead character. And it, it needs to. Because I think if he got, if this film goes throughout its runtime back in this guy, I think I'd be like, well, that's a bit, I think you've copped out a bit. But I think he definitely does. And the end shot in particular. Is it's harrowing actually? It, even with it being low key throughout the entire thing, it does manage to actually. It does come across as quite creepy by the end of it, and I think that's a real positive. So, I think this will alienate a lot of people. I think, and it's definitely not for everyone. But I think for me, it's it's the weird case of where it's an experimental film where the actual experiment doesn't properly work and yet the film doesn't fall flat on its face even normally if the film's kind of experimenting with form and then it doesn't wholly work the film's just going to be a disaster but it actually doesn't because i think the subject matter is so interesting and as you were mentioning regarding the the culture clashes i think that stuff is is so engaging that it it kept me interested the whole time and i think my final point before um, i move on to someone else I think the proof that this could have worked just as a normal feature is the the transitionary scenes, like especially the drone shots. They work beautifully for me. In that's where it properly felt like an actual feature, like a proper feature film. And it just made me wonder, I was like, why is he 
decided to go fully down the documentary route when all the plot stuff, even with non-professional actors and people who have a vested interest in the in the plot as well regarding the lead character, I was wondering why he's gone down that route when the actual quality of the film is there to see in abundance, I think. I think it is undoubtedly a Herzog film as well. I think, uh, like you said, George, it's very experimental in its nature. And I think that's probably one of its most engaging attributes. But then again, on the other side of that, I think it's one of those things where it's definitely going to be difficult for an audience to, 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 to be on that journey with it because it's just so, as, as, as a casual film fan, I think it'll be very difficult not to sort of um, belittle the, uh, anyone who is a casual film fan. But I think it's just like you said, it's that those two forms of narrative coming together and the blend is just very jarring. But on one occasion it works and the other one it doesn't. And that can be said for almost every sequence here. But I'm, I just want to mention, I think Yuichi Ishii's character and his performance, ultimately he's playing himself here, which I might need to question because I think that's one of like Herzog's little tricks. I think he's fabulous in this film. I think uh, Mahiro Tanimoto is also fascinating in this film. All performances here are just excellent. Nothing feels jarring when these characters are in front of the camera. And I think how it investigates relationships is interesting. But often than not, with a documentary aesthetic, it feels like you're a fly on the wall rather than in there in the scene. And I think that's a problem, again, that I alluded to with this documentary aesthetic, is that while it, it, I, I, I do want, want to be engulfed in it, and I was, I don't think that's because it's through the aesthetic. I think that's through the narrative. So to that degree, I do, I do really think that the documentary aesthetic fails because for me, I'm not engulfed by that. I'm not engaged because we're, we're there listening to two people talk and, and talk about how that this job that Yuichi has is an interesting sort of psychological aspect of, you know, where he talks to one of his friends later on in a film, I believe in the third act. And he says that he has one of like, you know, he's kind of comparing jobs and stuff like that. And he says, well, you've got one of the best jobs in the world. Like, that's, it's so interesting. It's fascinating. And then we get that final scene. And it is like brutally devastating because I think his life is impersonating someone else. And finally, he's, he's probably found himself in someone else's shoes. And at that mere touch of wanting to sort of follow that path then pulls away and ultimately it, it, it pulls everything away under his feet so it's very it's very herzog in that nature of where it's actually quite a sadistic film um but it is just this approach that i find that I do, I, it's just strange why herzog would go that. i think it's probably in a documentary mentality you know you know into the inferno and grizzly man you know gorbachev he's gone through this mentality of just investigated journalism through video and i think this is a film where he's tried to approach that with a narrative feature and it just doesn't collide very well so before I say anything, I do want to mention that this is my first Werner Herzog film. And I understand that he's made narrative films in the past and has kind of moved into a doc, like traditional documentaries. And I do have to say that while the narrative here is pretty good, it is hurt by the kind of the faux documentary feel, as I personally think that that style really only works for comedies. Like I'd say like Popstar or like Michael Schur's television work basically just like mockumentaries and faux, like this faux documentary feel really doesn't work for this film. And I'd say in most dramatic films that I've seen it used in the view that it has been used, 
it actually takes away from the overall impact of the film. And it also makes it look, I don't know if it was filmed on a phone, but it looks really, really bland. And it looks as if you just took maybe an iPhone 6S, just popped it up, the colors are all washed out, and it doesn't look like it was made professionally. Now, I'm knowing he's a very experienced filmmaker, I'm assuming that he chose to go down this route and it purposefully looks this way, but I just don't think that it's a good fit for this story at all. I think the uh, the topic of uh, format uh, regarding video and codecs or you know HD video you, you spoke about, Diego, is very interesting because I felt similar to you. It felt like it was shot on a video camcorder, and I and and I didn't know if that was because of the aesthetic of of, of being in Japan and having that really homemade feel to it. Or it was just because Herzog is on that path where he wants to shoot on video because obviously you don't have to, it's easier to edit, you can shoot tons of it. Um, then again, why wouldn't you just shoot on digital? So I don't know what the, uh, the decision behind that is, but I think it's an interesting one because it doesn't elevate the film whatsoever. In my opinion, I think you, you feel the same. I didn't think that it elevated the, the fact of what we were seeing emotionally or, 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 or physically. It didn't impact in any way. So f- for, for a decision to shoot on that type of format, is, is again, it's like this, <laughs> it just typical hers, like it doesn't really make any sense, but he did it anywhere. So in his like mad German head, he's probably got an idea of what the, the decision was behind that. But it doesn't come across very well, effectively for all, uh, through his feature. So for you to have a, your first inkling as a Herzog fan, this is probably the, I wouldn't say it's, it's the most innocent, I think there's no context behind this. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think you've got to be a Herzog fan to, to watch this because it doesn't scream much of Herzog. It has elements what he's in, invested in. Like I mentioned before with the technology and what George, George quite spectacularly alluded to better than I did. But if you're going to go for a Herzog film, this isn't it. This feels like what Bong Joon-ho could have made to a far better degree and, and, and sort of instigated that societal um, issues of it far more where Herzog feels like it's just a simply fly on the wall. And I think it sort of maybe outdoes the fact where we could have really got deep into this and, and saw this character not only blossom, but we could just, well, we could see it blossom, I think, to be honest. But unfortunately, I, we just haven't got... I was got... just going to, um, I was going to say, like, judging, I don't know if, like, if this is the case, but it's kind of, from what I'm reading, sounds like he stumbled upon like this real life family romance organisation and then thought, oh, I need to make a film about it. And then, so he's he's kind of gone. Well, I need to make it quickly because I might not have time. Because it it doesn't feel massively scripted either, to be honest. So it feels like they've got like a template, and then they're they're going off of that. So I think that's maybe why it feels like it's um, maybe a little basic in terms of its film and quality. It might just be that he's literally stumbled across this thing and thought, I need to to do something because it, it, it come out I mean it would have been filmed a couple of years ago it come out last year so it's not like brand new so um, maybe we'll have to read into that but it does feel it does feel odd that if he had enough time to prepare for this thing that this especially would be the avenue that he goes down I think to have Jonathan Glazer's uh, Strasbourg 1518 and this put together 
makes quite the interesting comparison because one of them's experimental and the other one's experimental in nature, but one of them's a shot, one of them's a narrative, and both directors are auteurs. And the difference between them is quite shocking to me. I don't particularly love family romance. I think it's a very well, I think it's a well-made film. When I'm seeing five star ratings, I'm sort of like, mm, I don't particularly see what you're seeing here. However, like Ashley said before, I respect someone else's opinion. It's interesting to see what anyone else sees. However, we put that against Jonathan Glazer's film. And the difference between the, 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 the creation, the execution, to me, is just phenomenal. Like Herzog could make <laughs> Strasbourg 1518 in his sleep. I mean, I think this is, this is a very similar film where this could be made in a short. And I think this is, this is Herzog, like you said, George, seeing an opportunity, pouncing on it, getting his video camcorder out and just shooting it. And to that degree, I think it's massively done if that's the case. But Herzog being around since, what, the late 60s, early 70s, that is, is to no surprise. The man knows his stuff. But I think this is a great example of if you have that itch to scratch, go do it, go do it effectively, go do it properly, go actually investigate something and make a narrative out and make, make a full-fledged feature. And again, maybe Jonathan Glazer didn't have the opportunity to do that. Maybe that there was different obstacles in the way. However... I think you see two very experimental films with two very different ideologies and, and, and very interesting um, elements. And, and the difference between them both is just fascinating to me. Yeah, but I don't know why I started. I do have to mention that as you were saying how like other filmmakers, even like Bong Joon-ho could probably express the, the subtle, sorry, I do have to mention also that this film, its themes, the way that they're expressed, it's incredibly subtle. And the documentary format does kind of make it even more subtle to the point where like, it's kind of, it's very hard to kind of glean anything from it. And I do feel like more experienced film, or not more experienced filmmakers, but kind of more like filmmakers who kind of have more of a vision, like Bong Joon-ho, as you were saying, they could have actually taken more out of the themes present in this film and if they had made that the center stage and the whole purpose of the film i feel like it could have been very well the next parasite or at least something close to that in terms of how it explores the premise can i just I was mention earlier i was on, just going to say this is this is karida like all the way if anyone's seen any of karida's early stuff this is like this is a story absolutely tailor made for that guy and he might be a little too weird like the actual central premise of this organization but i think the themes that you that then come from that is is tailor-made for him i just want to push back on on what you said diego just to cause uh, you said that you you found this film to be uh, to be very subtle did you say yeah see I, I, again not to not to get on your case i would extremely disagree with that because i think I don't think Herzog's a filmmaker who's subtle. Like, he's so on the nose, it's unbelievable. Like, you look at My Son, My Son, What Have You Done? It's this sort of a crusade of exploring um, a character who just twitches. He just goes. One day, he wakes up, he murders his mother, and he goes on a rampage in LA. He doesn't really go on a rampage, but it's just an exploration of this character. I think Herzog is very far from on the nose. So I'd be, I'd be fascinated to, for you to watch uh, Aguirre the Wrath of God or watch Nosferatu because he's a director who is not on the nose at all for me. I think 
if he has something to, he doesn't do it in a patronizing way. I think that's one of the attributes I quite like about him. But I think he's very European in the fact that he doesn't treat the audience stupid, but he will, but he, he will identify elements of his film very on the nose. For example, we, we've gone back to it a few times, but the ending is so unsubtle, like, unsubtle, like it's unbelievable. And then you get to the element where he's in the hotel. Like he literally could have stopped the film and said, we are going to talk about now the impressionism of technology and how it's affecting day-to-day life. Because that's all that, fe- that, 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 that small element is. And that, I think that's what George was ta- talking about, where it's a film that just changes after that. And I think it is because he's not a subtle director whatsoever. It's very on the nose. Yeah, you can, I'd agree. It's not subtle. Yeah, even as yeah. someone who liked it, it's not subtle. Yeah, same. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm sort of coming across that I'm damning this, but I think I hold Herzog such a high standard that I'm, le- I'm left slightly underwhelmed and disappointed. But that's not to say I, I didn't like it. But it'd just be very fascinating, Diego, for you to go back and watch some of Herzog films because I think you'd be very interested um, to, to, to look at his filmography and see where this would line up for you. Cause I think you'd be very interested to, to see um, elements that he does slightly better than this. Although I'm not distributing that you, you think it's unsubtle. I just think for me, I think I, w- I, w- I see it very different to how you would in that regard. I may have expressed my point a little bit unclearly, but what I was referring to was the fact that the theme, like it's there, but I feel like the approach that he took made it more subtle than it should have been and that other filmmakers could have taken what was I don't I still think I don't think it's on really on the nose but other films could at least make it seem on not necessarily on the nose but more prominent and more of a like a central like focus of the film and it may also be partially because it is my first film of his so yeah I'm definitely going to look back at his older filmography and see what is going on with that because I mean, one thing that I can say for sure about this film is that it's very interesting and unique. So I would be excited to explore the other films that he's made in the past. I think for, for me, like, I haven't seen a lot of Herzog, to be honest, but I'm just fascinated by what I'm seeing. For my own personal opinion, I find that Herzog as a director just puts you in the shit and leaves you there. I don't think he's a director who wants to, like, sit down with you and explore the, 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 the really intimate details. Like, I think George is right. I think he likes to showcase intimacy, but he wants you to make your mind up. I think he's, him and Lynch, I mean, they both, both uh, Lynch produced uh, um, My Son, My Son, What Have You Done? And Herzog directed. I think their partnership is amazing. I really wish, I really w- wish we could see more of that dynamic of them two together because Lynch and Herzog will showcase the audience something and it's up to you to work whatever you want about that. And I think this, this, the thing that's why I'm slightly underwhelmed with here, because again, it's not, it's not subtle. It's very on the nose, but it doesn't leave you sort of walking away from this and, and having a, 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 a thematic or existential debate. I just, I, I, we get, we saw, we get what we see, unfortunately. And for Herzog, for me, I, I want to be dropped into the shit, not knowing like rescue Dawn, and then that's an example that's quite on the nose, quite literally, someone is dropped in the shit. But for, for an audience, I want to be engulfed by what I'm seeing. I don't want to know who's the good. I don't know, want to know who's bad. I just want to see these characters erupt. And I think Herzog has done that so well over his filmography. Here, again, very different dynamic, very different genre. So to that regard, I can't hold it in such high esteem. But I was just expecting a little bit more to, to look at the, the, I mean, it says the line between acting and reality threatens to blur. For me personally, I didn't really see that threatening re- regard to that. I didn't see this line 
it's quite on the nose. And for me, I just wanted to, it to be far more blurred, if that made sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that this film is definitely not the most subtle. Um, I think it definitely Werner has his themes about um, our, you know, relationship with technology that's slowly becoming um, more of an overgrowth that we are kind of being taken over and kind of our relationship uh, between ourselves with this kind of new dynamic of social media personas and how we act in public. But um, I do, I do think that he explores a lot in this film. I think there's, you know, scene by scene, I think there's a lot to parse through and uh, that's that's definitely where I can kind of see where somebody would be um, thinking it's subtle because I think um, you know you look at a scene like the scene with um, you know the spiritualist when uh, Yuichi and uh, Mahira's mother go to see see her and kind of um, you know where where does religion kind of play into this you know the that that as a performative art or kind of um, as a beacon of traditionalism in this rapidly changing society, you know, um, I think he's definitely uh, not subtle with the overall point, but I think scene by scene, it's definitely a lot, a lot harder to parse through, you know, I think he does, he throws so much information in such, you know, um, low key ways that, um, you know, it's very hard to, you know, formulate your thought, you know, the first thing first thing after you watch it you know um i'm definitely you know gonna watch it at least two more times before i you know write my review you know it's it's a lot to go through you know um yeah and i i've been listening in on the the points about um how the film kind of feels hollow how the uh kind of emotional core of the story is um kind of passed aside for this um for experimentation, you know, um, I think maybe just because I do watch a lot of documentaries, I think it's, uh, one of my favorite genres. It's definitely up there and kind of understanding how storytelling in a, a documentary works, you know, part of a documentary is trying to figure out who's lying and who's telling the truth, trying to read body language and things like that you know and i think that's that's kind of what i i get from this you know we don't really see the cracks in yuichi until you know he tells um the mother you know i i don't think i can do this anymore you know this relationship is getting too real she wants me to stay with you guys as a real father and i you know i can't do that um I, th I think I want to say this is kind of a, a character study of Yuichi, of this person in this, this role, in this job, in this position, um, and kind of how that has affected him mentally. You know, he, he, you know, walks around and just sees nothing but people performing, people trying to put on their best foot forward, people who, you know, act a certain way because, you know, certain people aren't in their lives, you know? Um, and I, I think that how that affects him, you know, um, cause, cause you know, we're, we're all internet users. We all have, you know, our letterbox and Twitters and kind of, you know, um, that, the difficulty, you know, um, maintaining, you know, personal life and, and just our, our wits about us is, you know, trying to figure out who's telling the truth on, on the internet. Um, 
you know, it, it's not a, not a film about the internet, but it's definitely one about um, our changing relationships in the, the internet era, you know, just um, how, how we present ourselves. You know, I think once, if you do kind of see yourself in Yuichi's shoes, you know, putting on different faces for different people, for different audiences, you know, you kind of, you understand that plight and you understand that, that feeling of imposter syndrome of, of fakeness of, you know, I'm not the real me. I don't know if I, you know, can, can come across as a real person, you know? And I think that's, that's the emotional core I found with that is, you know, this, we're, we're in a, we're in a new era and I don't think any of us really know what to do with that information. You know, we're, we're different people now. To round out Clappercast, we'd like to end on some of our latest film or TV recommendations. George, let's start with you this week. Uh, so I will not be recommending a film this week, but rather um, a venture by some good friends of mine. So they at the Co-Conspirators podcast, and last week they let me guest on their podcast where we talked about some film conspiracies. So I'm not going to spoil which ones we talked about because that's part of the fun. But if anyone wants to check that out and some of their other work they've touched on, the moon landings, World War II conspiracies, the music one, Princess Diana. So they've got a range of stuff. Uh, they mix really good research, some lighthearted banter. I can't believe I've just said that on there. But that's what it is. So yeah, if, um, if anyone wants to check them out or the one I'm on, then uh, I'll be linking out on my Twitter profile throughout the week. So yeah, give them give them a look. Ashley? Uh, yeah, I'd like to recommend a film that's fresh in the memory, <laughs> um, only because I watched it last night. And um, it's a film called 1BR. I don't know if any of you have heard of it or if you've done it on here before. That's the reason I mention it. Um, it's obviously going to be in the horror genre if you're talking to me um but what i liked about this one was it was just very watchable it's not you know it's not um uh, an um, amazingly different film to something that you, you've probably seen something similar before in fact anyone who's listening or anyone I, I know that midsummer is a popular film um amongst people and i'd say that this draws some compare um some um sorry i'll start again getting a bit late now um, I would say that this film draws some similarities to Midsummer. Instead of it being a cult as such, it's a cult within a community. So it feels a lot more closer to home, where this young girl, who uh, portrayed very well uh, by Nicola Braden Bloom, I think she's a newcomer, um, and she does um, show um, that she's easily influenced and very fragile and this is she does this very well um which is perfect for these people to latch on to um, as she moves into her new home and the new home is on a block of flats and little does she know that the community aren't quite what they seem so it has some uh, parallels to midsummer so if you fancy something easy quite easy watching but quite terrifying as well um i would recommend that one br Diego? So I recently watched the film The Double, 
uh, by, oh wait, let me, I have no idea what the director's name is. Let me just look it up real quick. Richard Ayoade. Richard Ayoade. Ayoade, okay. So I recently watched a double by Richard Ayoade, I think is how you pronounce his name. And it's a great film. I compare it kind of to a quirky version of Eraserhead, uh, but like with the double twist, like with the double aspect of it. And I have to say, it's been a mystery to me why it was so like underlooked, because it apparently it 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 wasn't as popular as I believe it should be, even though it was released only about seven years ago. And I wouldn't say if any critics or any communities, film communities, rated it that highly. I believe it has a 3.5 on Letterboxd, but I really enjoyed it. And if you're into kind of those ambiguous films, as a kind of like David Lynch mixed with Wes Anderson, you'd probably enjoy this film as well. I believe it's on Hoopla in the US as of now. And Nick? Uh, all I've really caught up on is um, the new season of F is for Family, which came out a month ago. You know, the uh, animated, um, very twisted sitcom uh, featuring Bill Burr. So I, I was catching up on with that while I was, you know, watching everything else um, for the podcast. That was pretty much it. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Crappercast. Where can we find everyone on their social media? Ashley, let's start with you. Well, I don't have a Twitter account. Not yet, anyway. But um, I would say if you were interested in contacting me for any reason, then you type my name into Google and up comes a plethora, I believe, of different things that I'm on that are all actor-related, if you like. Um, so you can contact me on any of those. I'm on, I'm on Instagram, of course, as well. So type my name into Google. Diego? You can find me on Letterboxd at the Diego Andalus, as well as Twitter. And, sorry, you know, I'm just going to redo that because it was weird. You can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at the Diego Andalus, A-N-D-A-L-U-Z where I review films, I review pretty much everything I watch, and I'm pretty active on Twitter as well. George? You can find me on Twitter, and on Letterboxd, at GeorgeLewis97, and Lewis with two S's. And finally, Nick? Okay, you can find me on Letterboxd, on uh, JohnsonNW2, and on Twitter, uh, NJ from LB1. You can find me on Leadbox and Twitter with the username at Sharp. And you can find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk. And find out social media links on Clapper at Facebook and Clapper LTD on Twitter. Make sure to rate, subscribe, or follow us to be notified when the next episode comes out. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.